Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Big Wednesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, and we're doing something new that I think will become a thing. I think it'll become a thing kind of like the retalkables became a thing in the offseason where we went through and we revisited old games and we had a good time. We've actually been talking about what we do are retalkables and jam one in before spring football. We're not, but we're going to get back to the retalkables in the off season because it's fun and people liked it. And this now spurred as always by a texter is Buckeye butterfly effect or Buckeye fly effect. Steven, what's better branding for us? I like, cramming Buckeye talk kind of stuff into everything, but I, I don't know. Buckeye, buck fly, buckeye, buckeye fly. fly, buckeye is fly. It? No, 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 no. Buckerfly. Cause it's butterfly. So buckerfly is more like butterfly. Oh, so boy. buckeye fly. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to roll with that. Buck buckerfly is dangerous territory <laughs> because well, that's, uh, the, what are we, if not the, Danger is our middle name. Buckeye danger talk. Is it though? So Buckeye fly is what we're just going to roll with. And, you know, Buck, stay safe. Because Bucker, Bucker just invites too much. Buckeye fly does, does leave us some, some room here to not say (laughs) a lot. us to not have the Bucker immediately followed by an F. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's a problem. Yeah. Especially for me. My, my mind is, yeah. You mean you, it you keeps us from having the expletive uh, logo on our bug eye, on our podcast? Yeah, just staying safe. We're still safe for kids. We're a children-friendly <laughs> podcast. So what what Buckeye Fly? What this is is that we take one event in Ohio State history and we say, well, what if that didn't happen? And what would have happened? And it's coming from our guy Greg in the, Greg C seven four, right? Greg, it says you. Butterfly effect question, change one Ohio State-related event in the last five years that, A, puts Ohio State in a better position today than it already is, or, B, has Ohio State in a complete rebuild today. So we're not quite doing all of that. We're just taking the event, and we already have suggestions pouring in from texters because, like, every coaching hire is an obvious one. 
like a job battle that maybe would have gone another way is an obvious one. Dwayne Haskins, Joe Burrow, right? That's an obvious one. Injuries are obvious ones. Recruiting battles that would have gone a different way are obvious ones. But just because it's obvious, I mean, like, that makes it fun, right? So that's what we're going to get into, I think, in the offseason. I don't know that we'll do one every week, but I think it allows people to really think about the program. And I think the thing that I think is interesting is it will lead us, Stephen, I believe, to some conclusions, maybe in the long term, about is there how many individual things are there really that would drastically get Ohio State off course? Or is there some conclusion here that, you know what? Ohio State's kind of going to be Ohio State most of the time, and they would weather most storms because if they don't get this good player A or good coach A, they'd probably wind up with good coach or good player B, and they would be okay. I'll be curious where we kind of come down on that, Stephen, as we talk about stuff like this. You got to go detailed with it because it is a sliding scale depending on who the player or coach is and what their role within a program is uh, for some coaching middle, all assistant coaches are middle, middle managers, but some assistant coaches are just better middle, middle managers and other middle assistant coaches, just like some players are a little bit more important to the fabric of a program than other players are. And so what we're starting with today will be interesting because it, it's got some layers to it that maybe if you don't point out any, some of these specific details and you, you might overlook the importance of it. Nathan, do you, do you believe that, that we're going to find conclusions that there are absolutely moments that Ohio State could have plunged off a cliff if something went differently as we go through this? And, and again, today we're doing if they didn't hire Ryan Day or most of the time, would they be OK? Yeah, plunged off a cliff seems like a stretch to me just because that is almost the hallmark of this football program is they don't plunge off the cliff. They don't even really like slip and like seem like they're perilously like balancing on the edge of the cliff. You know what I mean? Like you have one hiccup and under very specific circumstances in like ever really. Right. So that's, what's intriguing to me though, is like, it's not so much that would they have fallen off a cliff? It's would they still be the Ohio state that we think of now, or would they be something closer to, you know, the other good teams in the Big Ten where there isn't quite the gulf that we kind of think of being right now between Ohio State and whoever number two is. And we'll get to a texture question that addresses specifically that. I asked a variety of texture questions about this topic. What if they didn't hire Ryan Day? What if they had gone a different direction? In addition to then, we'll kind of talk about some scenarios. We didn't get a million texture scenarios, but we got good discussion. And Nathan, Stephen, and I all go, all go through, well, this is like an alternate world. I love alternate worlds. It's I, I maybe because the real world uh, is too hard for me, but but many, many moons ago, one of the very first stories I ever read it wrote as a young journalist, you know, the movie Hoosiers is based off Milan High School in Indiana. It is a small school that actually won uh, the state title or did they win or did they finish second? No, they won. They, they beat won the big school. They Muncie won. Central. Yep. They beat Muncie Central. Right. Yep. But Bobby Plump is the guy in real life who hit the shot that like won it for Milan, right? And he actually had a, a restaurant or a bar in Indianapolis for a long time called Plump's Last Shot. And I mean, literally, I'm so old. Like 25 years ago, I wrote a story that was, what if Bobby Plump had missed? You know, the guy made the shot. What if he missed the shot? You know, it changes his life. We don't have the move of Hoosiers, I guess. Do we have class basketball? I'm getting off on Indiana things and 
if we get enough people, it's like, I get it. Nathan and I both worked in Indiana. I get it. But like in Indiana for a long time, they had single class basketball for such a long time because this one time in the fifties, the small school beat the big school. And the result was for decades and decades and decades, small schools were getting their heads beat in by the big schools because they refused to break up the classes. So I even talked to Bobby Plump. I talked about what if you had missed? So this is my scenario. I love, it's one of the things I'm a journalist who loves fake imaginary things. It's like, Stephen, does everybody love fake what ifs? My favorite kind of story to write is what if, because then I don't really have to. I mean, at that time I talked to the guy. Most of the time I don't have to talk to anybody because I can be like, well, I think this would happen in my imaginary world. Do I like what ifs too much? And am I leading us down a path here with Buckeye fly effect? I wouldn't say you like them too much. I think there are two types of what ifs. There's the what if this something in the past had changed. And then there's a what if this happens in the future? And I think you love the past what ifs maybe a little too much, but that is what it is. I like what ifs in the future of what if you take that guy and you just put him over there? Then what happens? How, how does things change? What if, you know, what if you put Garrett in the slot? Oh, <laughs> you know, what is if you a- put... Yeah, is that a Buckeye is, fly effect? What if it, it Wilson is. had never played in the slot? Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't, 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 don't tease me. Don't tease me. Yeah. Don't, don't tease me. We'll talk for four hours. But yeah, there's two different ones. I think you like the past ones. I like the future ones just because it makes things more interesting. All right. So I want to go over quickly before we get into this two-hour podcast. We're going to talk about basketball at the end because they're on a four-game losing streak. They're going into the Big Ten tournament. They're going to play on Thursday. Steven, who are they playing the winner of? Northwestern and Minnesota, who play on Wednesday. So yeah, mo- most of you will be listening to this as that game's going on. Okay, it shouldn't matter, uh, right? I mean, it shouldn't matter. Ohio State should beat the winner of that, shouldn't. whoever it is, right? Should, should, should. But we have some thoughts to share on basketball. Both, should both of those teams beat Ohio State during the regular season? Yeah. All right, so they'll lose no matter who they play. I'm just kidding. I don't mean it <laughs> Ohio State basketball. That's, I do feel bad. It's like I only chime in on Ohio State basketball when something's going wrong. But I, I do have a thought. I may write it as well. I actually may jump in on Ohio State basketball and write a column about it this week. But we'll talk about a little bit that at the end. We are aware of the recording of the high school coach, former high school coach in Alabama, talking about allegedly. How do I say this, Nathan? It's not allegedly that he said it. He said it. He's He is alleging that Nick Saban and Kirby Smart have a system of paying players at Alabama and Georgia. We are aware of it. And I think we will talk about it this week. We're not going to talk about it on this podcast. We have texters who are reaching out about it. I do find it interesting that it doesn't seem Nathan yet, right? I don't know. Other than like, I mean, the big lead reaggregated whatever this the the sound was on. I have not really seen major national media attention to this. Archie Griffin's son Adam, who played at Ohio State, tweeted about this the other day. He noted that. You know, mm-hmm. and there are people out there who are going to say, hey, if this was Ohio State, you know, every national sports outlet in the world would be camped out in Columbus right now. And it's being ignored in Georgia and Alabama. I think that's worth a discussion, Nathan. But at the we'll save it. But like Nathan, we we're aware of it, right? Yeah, we're aware of it. And it's it, at this point, it's still a hearsay thing, right? I mean, if people want national re- outlets to chime in i think they're probably hopefully it's because they're looking into it as opposed to just aggregating what someone's a person said even though this person does have some credibility obviously being the 
well, he has some credibility, but he also has some some reasons to question his credibility. Right. It's kind of both sides with the, the person in question, the, the high school coach in question. So uh, but yeah, I think it's definitely something that deserves uh, more more scrutiny. And hopefully the people who cover those programs are doing that. It's hard, but I think we'll have a discussion about like what we think about it. I mean, we're not going to report on it. We don't cover Alabama and Georgia. We don't have the resources to do it. Well, this, well, I think we can have a discussion, discussion about journalism and how you should handle this, because I have some personal examples in my career where I've screwed stuff up, and I'll be curious how it's – I'm almost – Nathan, I think the thing for Ohio State fans is almost what's next. It's almost how will journalism cover this or not cover it, and what does that say about how different programs are viewed, where we are in college sports – where we are in the journalism industry. I think there's a lot of interesting things we can talk about. And the other thing is football's paused. We're recording this at 1130 on Tuesday. This came out at nine o'clock on Tuesday morning. You know it by now as you hear this on Wednesday. I don't think this is that big of a deal. Nathan, just give the people the quick overview of what's happening with the football program. Yeah, so very much like last summer, you might remember that Ohio State voluntarily paused its workouts for what was, I guess, less than a week then. it was I think it was like six days and then came back and resumed workouts. That's essentially what happened again this morning. They had a spike in the uh, polymerase chain reaction, the, the rapid testing. They had a spike in the coronavirus test results for that. So they, out, you know, everyone's favorite phrase, out of an abundance of caution, Gene Smith and Dr. Borchers decided to stop Uh, these workouts that were going on right now, which are only, I think, three-day-a-week workouts or something like that. I was told last week that Ohio State was testing three times a week, basically every day that they were holding a a workout or practice, whatever, although official spring practices haven't started. And those are still on schedule to start next Friday, I was told again today. That's what they said in the release, kind of. I clarified that with Ohio State. They are still, as we are recording this, as you said, Wednesday morning, still scheduled to start spring drills next Friday. So I agree with you, Doug, that it, to me, it's not a huge deal. It's a better safe than sorry kind of thing. I think it's one of those things. I mean, it's, it's the equivalent of if you found out that Chris Olave sprained his ankle, it's like, okay, well, Chris Olave sprained his ankle. That's not great. He'll be fine by the fall. Like what's, what's the big deal? Like this is, you know, everybody's going to be fine by the fall. The world's going to be fine by the fall. We're not perfect yet. Whatever. So would. No, I know. I mean, I know. I know. We know. I mean, yeah, of course. So, but I mean, optimism. I mean, of course, there's, there's great optimism. There's reason to have great optimism, but we're not out of the woods. People know that. So that's what's happening with football. Don't freak out. Okay. I'm going to start with one of the, with the question that I asked last to our tech subscribers about Ryan Day and the hiring of Ryan Day, because this is something, this is not directly related to what if they didn't hire Ryan Day, but I think it's an important thing as we go through this. And, and, and this question was, what are the chances that Ryan day is like Larry Coker at Miami and Mark Helfrich at Oregon. And though he has succeeded so far, it's because of what he inherited and the program will fall off in the next few years. You guys know that Larry Coker just took over the hurricane machine. He was the coach, right? When they played Ohio state for the national title, but then soon after Miami hit the skids that continues to today. Right. Larry Coker could not keep it going. And look where they are now. Mark Helfrich inherited Chip Chip Kelly. He goes to the national title game against Auburn. That's not Mark. That's not Chip Kelly. That's the, the successor. And they fall off. Now they got it back after they fired him. And Mario Cristobal's got it back, but they went through Willie Taggart and stuff. So, like, so I think that has been a lingering thing a little bit. The choices I gave texters, what are the chances of that being the case with Ryan Day? No chance. 
small chance, medium chance, and then this is an out. A couple of these questions I gave everybody an out. I don't know, but I do still worry about it. That like it's one of those things as an Ohio State fan. I don't know, but it's like it's in the back of my head still a little bit. I can't help it. Whether it's justified or not, I can't help it. Nathan, what do you think won? No chance, small chance, medium chance, or it's just in my head? I would guess that maybe that fourth option, don't know, but I still worry about it, might have won. But I guess that'd be my guess. Steven? I'd say small chance now. I think if we would have done this even last year, it would have been maybe medium chance, bordering on I don't know, but still worry about it. Yeah, but we, so the whole point is, and we're, you know, the whole point is where we are now, right? Because I so, do yeah, think this small. is an interesting time to do it two years in. To your point, Stephen, one year in, what the heck? I don't know, right? Two years is a very interesting pivot point, I think, right? Because, but that's sort of what Helfrich and Coker both got to. They were still really good. Even third year, I think, still pretty good. And then it started to go. I am, I thought maybe no chance would win. That people are just like, listen, because the proof's in the recruiting, right? Stephen, is that not the main right. answer to this? Is like they're recruiting as well or better than they did under urban. So like what, what would lead you to believe like what, what is the, any indication that they would fall off other than looking at history, like these previous coaches and the, just, you just don't know factor. I don't know that there is a single actual tangible thing that Ryan day has or hasn't done that would lead you to any answer other than no chance, right? It's just the lingering stuff that's out there in the world to me that would lead you to anything other than no chance. Like me being just a complete pragmatist about stuff like this, my original answer was going to be small chance. But then the more I thought about it, it's the recruiting that Ohio State is already has underway. It's where that recruiting is relative to the rest of the Big Ten, I think is the important thing here to remember, too. It's like there already is, like I mentioned before, like this gulf, this like real separation between the Ohio State and whoever is number two on any given day in the Big Ten. I, I think I would actually probably say no chance right now. I, I think that as far as what I guess, I mean, we can we can parse what we mean by fall off. I suppose if, if Ohio state doesn't make the playoff this year, does that mean they fell off? I, I don't necessarily think that, you know what I'm saying? I think this team will remain in playoff contention and probably remain the best program in the big 10 for the next, at least handful of years. No, I mean, I think, well, I don't think we have to farce, parse fall off because fall off means you were a national contender and now you're not right. Because that's so, what we're talking yeah. about with Miami and Oregon. And that's what we're talking about. We know what Ohio State's expectation level is from Urban Meyer and stuff. It's be a national title contender. It doesn't mean make the playoff every single year. It doesn't mean win a national title. It means be at the top of the mix. I so would still say no chance. I would have voted no chance, right? Because, because the only reason you wouldn't vote no chance is because it's like, well, there's 1% chance that anything could happen. Well, then there's a 1% chance that you would have voted small chance for Urban Meyer or you would have voted small chance for Jim Tressel. Because if you're just going to vote small chance because nothing is certain, then it's one of those things, well, it's not that fun to do polls. But small chance won. I was a little surprised by that. Small chance, 45%. No chance, 42%. Don't know, but I still worry about it, 8%. Medium chance, 4%. And I just, I, it's not that I want to grill the people who voted small chance, 
but I, I would be, I'm interested in the specificity of that answer. If it's really related to something about Ryan day, or if it's related to the general uncertainty of life itself. Is small chance 20% or is small chance more than zero, but still minuscule 1.6%. I mean, to me, it's like, yeah, it's like reasonable doubt, right? I mean, it's like beyond a reasonable doubt. It's like, well, is it, do you convict, do you have to be a hundred percent or is it like, well, what's reasonable, right? It's like, I, I think it's, to me, it's that it's like, I'm not asking you, I think you could be like 98% certain and you would say no chance, right? Cause there's, it's just one of those things. Steven, are you surprised? I don't know. I just thought no chance. I thought people might be just like, he's our guy. He's the guy. He's good. He recruits, he schemes it. He's like good with the culture of the program. Like what else do you want? No chance. He's the guy. I thought that might be 70%. Yeah, I, that, I thought that would be a resounding answer just because from a recruiting standpoint. I mean, Mark Helfridge, those recruiting classes that he was putting together, 21st in the country, 16th in the country, 27th in the country, those didn't lead you to have any optimism towards the future once the, Chip Kelly's players were gone. And with Larry Coker, kind of the same thing. The first couple of years looked like what Ryan Day was doing, number four, uh, recruiting class in the country, number five recruiting class in the country, number three recruiting class in the country. And then all of a sudden it fell off. It started tipping it down. It went to nine and down from there. Ryan Day's third recruiting class here right now has the number is number one in the country. So the future is there's no downtick in the recruiting. And when you start there, you see there, you see why those, those programs fell off the moment those great players left for Ohio state. They're just reloading. I don't know Larry Coker. Do you guys know Larry Coker? We met at a coffee you know, house one time when I was seven. Okay. 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 Don't know Hold him. on. Hold on. First of all, I was going to say, I don't know Larry Coker. Fuck, I talk. That would be one of the most random slogans we could have. <laughs> and now we go to Coffee House Tales with Stephen Means. You're seven years old in a coffee house and you meet Larry Coker? Please I mean, ex- that's all- expound on that. That's all there is to that story. I was seven. I don't remember much else about that time. Where was the coffee house? Florida. In Florida. Mm-hmm. Were you on vacation? Yeah, 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 we were at Disney World. You were at Disney World. Yeah. And Larry Coker was at Disney World. This is getting dangerous. Now we're on the verge of talking about Disney World. So I mean, let's there's warn no everyone. more to it. I, like, I was, like I said, I was like seven, so I don't. Was it a coffee house in, in Disney World proper or outside Disney World? I was seven. So you were, seven. I was, were you yeah. getting coffee? Were you getting coffee? Oh, were you no, getting no, no. Like a I like, so no, 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 no. I was getting the little lemon cake things that they have. At, at Disney point. world or outside Disney world. Or was it Starbucks? Was it Starbucks? Yeah. Like the the Starbucks. Starbucks. It might have, yeah. That's all. It was. I don't remember if it was. Did your inside. family say hello to Larry Coker or did you just acknowledge his existence? I'm going to assume we just acknowledged that was Larry Coker over there and we just kept it moving with our lives. How does your family recognize Larry Coker on site? This is a this is a a tried and true college football family. If you're just like, that's Larry Coker. I'm I mean, he was it's Miami at the I'm seven. So that's. It's like 2001, 2002 Miami. So Larry Coker heyday. Yeah, yeah. That's like it's not like it's Larry Coker right now. And it's like, hey, that's Larry. No, it was like when he was the most one of the most famous coaches in America because he was coaching up to you. And honestly, Larry Coker at that point is probably walking around Starbucks in like an orange and green starter jacket being like, I mean, hey, if I get recognized, I get recognized. I'm Larry Coker, baby. What's up, little seven-year-old Stephen Means? Hey, man, college football. 
Great way to spend your life. Good luck to you. I'm Larry Coker. Um, and that's what I knew I wanted to be a journalist. Yeah. Now that, see, I also, I might start working in my Larry Coker impersonation into this now. Just like that Larry Coker is like some swinging dude of the early 2000s. Like, hey, baby, Larry Coker, give me a lemon cake. Get one for this young seven-year-old over here. He's my guy, Stephen Means. Larry Coker loves you, baby. All right. That's Larry Coker. He, But Larry Coker, see, I'm making fake Larry Coker juice because I don't think Larry Coker had any real Larry Coker juice. It's like, oh, are you telling me that like Larry Coker like did not continue like the Jimmy Johnson, Butch Davis success at Miami? It's like, oh, Larry Coker didn't work at Miami. It's like, well, yeah. I mean, like who wouldn't have seen that coming? No offense to Larry Coker. I think Ryan Day's got a little more juice, right? I mean, like Ryan Day is kind of like a normal dude, but I just think Ryan Day personality wise makes more sense to me as a successful head football coach than Larry Coker. No offense to anyone who might be related to Larry Coker, who I'm sure is a fine gentleman. So I, I just don't, I'm, I think it's an interesting, it's probably something to write about this year, honestly, because we're right at the edge of it being totally irrelevant, right, Nathan? Like if, if Ryan Day is good again in year three, it's like, what are you doing? Are you just sitting around waiting for someone who's never lost a Big Ten game to fail? Because guess what? He's going to lose a Big Ten game in his life. But like, are we waiting to pounce on him? Like in year eight, when he goes 10 and two, it'll be like, aha, we knew he wasn't perfect. Like, this is the last gasp of any hesitancy. And I would say for a lot of people, it's over already. But again, if he does this again, Nathan, and, and I think you're right, they don't even have to make the playoff. But if they're good and competitive and they have reasonable quarterback bumps, but man, they still have it in a lot of ways. Like, I just think we would be at no chance would be at 90% a year from now, right? Well, but still, like I'm looking back at Larry Coker, 12 and 0 national championship, 12 and 1 lost the Fiesta Bowl, 11 and 2 won the Orange Bowl, finished in the top five. Those are his first three years. Then you go nine and three, nine and three, seven and six, still on the cusp of the top 10 in 2004. So I, I think it is unreasonable to, to really squint too much after a third year. If they get, if they're, if they're a playoff team again, three straight years, I think it, opinion should be fairly secure because the other thing again now you're going to be talking about that's important here is quarterbacks that he recruited and developed Mm -hmm. are going to be the quarterback this fall like that that alone is a huge thing it's not the Justin Fields thing even though Ryan Day obviously played a big part in bringing Justin Fields here but this is a these are guys all three of these guys guys that you went and recruited identified developed installed supported and that's who leads your team this fall in addition to any number of other positions where you're going to have guys that Ryan day, it's not just hand me down guys, right? It's guys that he was uh, very heavily involved in establishing here at Ohio state. So I think that all of that happens again already by this fall. I think another playoff run this fall, another big 10 championship kind of season this fall should, I think um, probably knock out any of those, a lot of those remaining doubts that people might have. All right. So let's go to another question from the texters. At the time Ryan Day was hired, how did you view the choice? This is asking people to go back to December 2018, what they thought then. My choices I gave them were home run, obviously the best choice. That's what you thought when they announced him. Good choice, but a couple of others would have been equally as good. Okay choice, but others would have been better. Like, it's not the worst, but like he wouldn't have been number one on your list. And bad choice. Not close to the best guy for the job. And then another out that I gave people, and the reason I gave this out is because it would have been what I would have said. And it's what I did say. Risky choice. High upside, but legitimate questions. And now I will read the column that I wrote 
uh, the day that Ryan Day was hired. I will read it in its entirety. All, no, I will. All 2,000 words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a... <laughs> I wrote a 4,000 word Baker Mayfield thing over the weekend. So like I am, uh, I am capable of being long winded and I will not subject you to a reading of that. And I also will remind people I was sick as a freaking dog on this. Oh day. yeah. I remember that day <laughs> as a freaking, it was the sickest I've been probably in the last like eight years. Like I was like, I was sick. Like I'm not getting out of bed sick, which is like, I'm never sick like that. Everybody's sick. Like I don't feel great. I am. I was sick. Like I'm under the covers all day. And Urban Meyer <laughs> resigned. I was like, well, I guess I'm not on the covers today. I could barely function at the news conference. And so I apologize, but just to ease everyone's mind, I went back and read what I wrote. Still great. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I did say this at the end. This was, was my- like a Michael Jordan flu game yeah. for you. Like that column. <laughs> I've never seen him look so miserable before. I, I could read you my column off the Michael Jordan flu game as well. I have it hanging in my basement. If you want me to go read that, that would be meta. Me, I could wait till I'm sick. I'm just kidding. All right, here's what I said at the end. This is the point. Not that I'm uh, a, a gamer who toughs it out when I'm sick and still writes great stuff. There is reason for optimism, but there's some risk to it as well. That was the last line of my column which I have come around on this. And I kind of wrote it when Freddie Kitchens was hired by the Browns too. I think when Kevin Stefanski was hired, there's a time, like sometimes people want like, is it good or bad? And like what you say does not, you aren't determining whether it's going to be good or bad. And like, whether you're right or not has nothing kind of to do oftentimes with that moment, right? There are things that happen, you know, it's like, does the person have the resume or the personality to succeed those answers can be yes or no, and the outcome can still be the opposite. So sometimes I do think in sports writing, people are asked to take strong positions of like terrible hire. And it's like, what? I don't know. So I did take a little bit of a what I don't know. I would have voted risky on this. Home run, good, okay, bad, or risky. I would have voted risky. I did vote risky. Steven, what would you have voted here? Risky. Just because uh, with high, high upside, legitimate questions, but risky. Because, I mean... And the reasons are clear. The man had never been a head coach, and this was going to be his first job. Yep. Nathan, what would you have voted? No, same. Risky. Okay. I, and I, I wasn't covering it at the time, but I sort of remember at the time thinking, I don't know much about this guy. That seems like a big swing for Ohio State. And, and like outside, it was would have been viewed even riskier. Because outside, nobody knew who Ryan Day was. I mean, like Ohio State fans were like, oh, he's a good offensive coordinator. It had been leaked. Right. The idea of coach and waiting had been strategically leaked, strategically leaked, strategically leaked. So it wasn't out of left field for Ohio State fans, but like for college football at large, literally, you could have been a loyal college football fan and been like, who? Ohio State's one of the five best programs in the country, maybe one of the three best programs in the country, and I literally don't know who they just hired as their head coach. Risky did not win, though. Good won. Good, 37%. Risky, 35 Home run, 26 So a quarter of the people thought it was a home run in the moment. Okay, only two, and nobody said bad choice. Actually, one person did, but 0%. So I think that makes sense, right? And as we look back on this, I mean, there is some risk, but as I analyze this situation, and perhaps if I hadn't been sick, I would have analyzed it better in the moment. I think there's a way that you can come around on this where there was no other choice. That's what I've come to through this. 
that I think there's some stuff with timing and where the other candidates were with their teams and with their careers and the logistics involved of, of Urban Meyer coming to the end of a season. And if they didn't want to wait until after the bowl and they were going to have this hanging out there, I think if they were going to go in December and they had this news conference on December 4th, 2018, if they were going to go, then I don't know that they could have gone any other way. And I'll, I'll get into that when we get into the scenarios a little bit, but that's what people thought sort of of the choice at the moment. And I want to, there's one more um, that I sort of want to, no, there's two more. Well, there's one more I want to do before we get into sort of the, the logistics of what would have happened if not, right? So the last one is this. When were you all in on Ryan Day as Ohio State's head football coach? From the moment he was hired, after year one, after year two, I'm still not, but I'm almost there. I'm still not, and there's a ways to go. So immediately, playoff year one, playoff year two, you're still not, but close. You're still not, but you're far away. Nathan, what do you think won? I think after year two, one. I think after year one, there was so much high expectations on that class. They saw the talent with that junior group, Dobbins, Young, um, Okuda, Okuda. That, that whole group. So, I mean, that there was – everyone, I think, thought that that was a playoff or bust situation. So to get back after everything they had to go through this past season, having lost all those guys, having a team that on paper you could have questioned whether that was actually going to be a better team and then to get all the way to the national championship game, I think that probably is where the majority of people locked in. What do you think, Stephen? Year two, because, I mean, going through all this and getting to a national championship game, despite some of the the – Issues, some in your control, obviously on the field issues, but also with COVID and everything. I think year two is when you got comfortable, even if it didn't end the way you wanted it to. So that is not the answer. And there's uh, there's a question, there's an answer I'm looking for because as someone said, and I'll find it here, that and I thought this was an interesting answer and it's not an, an option I gave, but that getting Justin Fields was what made them think, okay, mm. I really, I really think this might be the guy now. So that would have been like a month later, right? That it's like this guy is immediately going out and sort of solving a problem in a way that maybe Urban wouldn't have been able to solve it, right? That you're differentiating yourself immediately. And it's actually our friend Joseph in Atlanta. Um, I didn't find my answer for when I bought in today. It was the first offseason. Justin Fields came here for day. The defensive hires were promising. I felt like his press conferences indicated he really got what Ohio State was. I was a bit nervous in December 2018, but by May 2019, I was all in expecting great things. Nathan, that's a nuanced answer. You like nuance. I think that's a very smart answer because there's a lot of things beyond, beyond the record on the field. It was sort of like, does he get it? in terms of running a program and bringing in talent and hiring people and presenting himself to the fan base on the world, does he get it? And you could figure that out in the first six months before they got to September. I think that is a really smart answer because I think to truly evaluate things in sports, and we try to do this, I think, here on Buckeye Talk and, and in things that we write, sometimes you have to, you have to analyze things independent of the outcome. And yes. something like going out and getting Justin Fields, getting the huge, landing the huge 
guy in the transfer market to solve huge problem that you had, whether or not Justin Fields actually ends up paying that off to everyone's wildest dreams. That was the big, that was the win regardless of what the outcome is in the end. So I think that is a really smart and nuanced way to look at that. And so now I will tell you that year two was not the answer that people picked. And I would like to take some credit for this nine and three, nine and three. (laughs) <laughs> when a veteran observer of Ohio State football says that he expects the Buckeyes to go nine and three in Ryan Day's first season, and they go 13 and 0 and make the playoff, you know, when you buy in after year one. That was the answer that won. Year one, 52%. From the moment he was hired, 39%. So that's over 90% that are that early. I'm still not there, but I'm close, 5%. After year two, only 3%. Hmm. And still not there in a ways to go. Literally nobody voted for that. So I do think, I think, because I think it's the combination of what Joseph pointed out. It's the off-season stuff, fields, the hires, the way he presents himself, and that they went undefeated. I think the Michigan game was a big deal. He was very emotional after the Michigan game. He was honest talking about the pressure he felt. I'm not an Ohio guy. I know how important this is to beat Michigan and not have them, the rivalry, you know, that rival ruin your undefeated season. He felt that. And I think Ohio state fans felt him feeling that. So I think the combination of all that stuff, you know what? It's not a guarantee, but as disappointing. And then even, you know what, to lose to Clemson that way. And he was ticked, right? He fought for it a little bit. I don't think he went nuts, and like, whatever, embarrass the program by ripping the refs in, incessantly. But he also was like, hey, man, we were the better team. And that kind of way, we got the shaft a little bit. I thought he handled that pretty well. I thought the culmination, I think in the end, year one makes a lot of sense as an answer. I think there were multiple things on and off the field that would have led people to that conclusion. Year two reinforced it. And that's important. Year two could have walked back all that stuff if it had gone south. But since it, I think it only reinforced it, you would say, you know what? I was there at year one. And then year two reassured me that I was right. Reassured me that I was right. It left room for optimism, 100%, because yeah. of all those. Yes, you're a game away from pretty much losing to, at the time, probably the greatest offense of all time. And it came down to a few calls. Yeah, and I, and I don't know. I mean, it's tough, right? I mean, red zone, not great. You know, some moments it's like, but I don't think Nathan in the end, I didn't think people put the Clemson loss on Ryan day. Right. I mean, like, of course they could have done things better and yes, they blew a lead. I mean, like that's indisputable. They had a big lead and they lost, but I don't know that people said, well, Ryan day blew it. No, I don't think people looked at, uh, you know, the, the Sean Wade ejection and said, boy, if only they had taught him to play football one percent better than he doesn't get ejected there or they don't look at um the jk dobbins as like a coaching failure when he drops the wide open pass. like all those little things i think just kind of came down to a a incredibly talented team that made just made a f- enough execution issues and then obviously the, like you said the officiating so i don't think people looked at that as a, as a failure of his i think they looked at it as like a missed opportunity for the program but i agree that it, it was enough just getting back to that level and playing at that level, I think showed people that it was headed in the right direction, which is the difference. Had they gone into Clemson and lost 31 to nothing again, it probably would have had a little bit of worry, which is, I think we've had this conversation before. Yep. 
it's sometimes better to lose a close game than to get blown out because in a close game, there's the we're there. We can compete. We just lost this game because of a few football technical things that, yeah, you need you can fix on. You can't fix 31 to nothing. You just got to blow up all of that, which is why I, I am a firm believer in. I'd rather lose a game by one point than to lose it by 100. I never understand people who say I, I, I'd rather get blown out because it doesn't hurt as much. And, you know, you were never there. I mean, the whole point is to be in the fight. Right. So yeah. but to your point, that's why Ryan Day got here. They brought in Ryan Day because 31 one nothing wasn't good enough. And they blew it up and they got rid of Tim Beck and Ed Warner and said, we need a better offensive coordinator. And their answer was Ryan Day. All right. We're going to come back and we're going to do scenarios. We're going to say who we think would have been the coach. I'm not going to make you wait until the very, very end for that, but we'll keep discussing this, but we'll get down to the Buckeye fly effect. If it's not Ryan day, who is it? And if Ryan day's not the head coach of the Ohio state Buckeyes, what is he? That's next on Buckeye talk. All right, back on Buckeye talk. We're going to talk about what if they didn't hire Ryan day, who would they have hired? And so I'm going to make it, I'm going to give a nod. Listen, these guys are they're freaking great. The Toledo Blade guys are great. Kyle Rowland and Dave Briggs, they win awards all the time. They're knuckleheads. I love them. They're my friends. They're really good at it. Briggs is a great columnist. Kyle is a great beat writer. Briggs, one of the best things he's written in years. It's like he got Gene. I'm just jealous of it. I don't even know. It's like sometimes Gene, you got to get Gene Smith at the right time. And if you get Gene at the right time and the right place, and this is the thing I don't know with Gene. I don't know if he is 100% strategic every minute of every day. And when he is saying things that you make that make you think, huh, he just told us something we didn't know. Did he have a purpose for doing that? And he knew exactly what he was doing? Or is Gene just a nice guy who every now and then, if you can get him talking, he'll say something he shouldn't have said. Not that it's like, you know, it's not like devastating for the program, but it's like, thank you for that very interesting information that I'm not so sure you meant to divulge. So Briggs got him like, a I don't know, a year ago, a year and a half ago, two years ago after the Ryan Day stuff. And Gene told him there were four candidates that he compared Ryan Day against. He did not say who they were, but he said one was an, a current NFL coach, two were current college football coaches, and one was a retired coach. And it does not take a lot of detective work to say the NFL coach is Mike Vrabel. The current college coaches are Matt Campbell at Iowa State and Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. And the retired coach is Bob Stoops, who coincidentally did not replace Urban Meyer at Ohio State, but just replaced Urban Meyer on the Fox College football show. Plus, Bob Stoops is from Ohio. I mean, this is not rocket science. A lot of the times when it's like, that's the thing I make fun of, like the national writers who like make up college football head coaching lists. I mean, it's like there's a head coaching, there's a replacement list for Les Miles, creepy grandpa, like the minute he gets fired, everybody's like, well, this guy, this guy, this guy. And it's like, okay, well, what did the AD fax you his list? Or are you just going, okay, who's like a non-power five good head coach who would want to move up? It's like, okay. But a lot of times that's also what the list is because the obvious list is the obvious list. So when I sent it out to the texters, I said that I didn't want texters to go into this blind. Okay. I gave you those four names. Now, maybe it's not 100% right. I don't know. I bet you they're right. I'm very confident. I don't have inside info that I'm secretly spilling, but I really think those are the four names. And then anybody else is random name X. Good head coach somewhere else that you think you could get to Ohio State. And I'll be honest, there's a guy that I should have mentioned on there that I didn't mention that I'm going to work into one of my scenarios, but I didn't put him on the list. 
So I will tell you the people that I put on the list, and then we'll tell you who voted. If the Buckeyes hadn't hired Ryan Day, who would be the Ohio State head coach? And then I just explained the thing I said about those four guys. These were the names that I gave. Dan Mullen, Kevin Wilson. So I gave Kevin Wilson as Greg Schiano as other, as other guys currently on staff. Pat Fitzgerald, Tom Herman, Chris Peterson from Washington, who then retired a year later. Dino Babers, who was a Mac coach who had been at Syracuse and was coming off a really good year at Syracuse in the moment. Then Matt Campbell, Luke Fickle, Mike Vrabel, Bob Stoops, those four that were otherwise mentioned. I always mentioned David Shaw as a guy. I should have mentioned Mel Tucker as a guy who was not yet at Colorado, but it was a former assistant who's from Cleveland, who was a former assistant at Ohio State with the Browns, was with Kirby Smart still at, no, yeah, was with Kirby Smart at Georgia then and was going to soon take the Colorado job before he wound up at Michigan State. I should have thrown him in there. He had never been a head coach. But let's guess, Stephen, who do you think the texters voted as if Ryan Day wasn't Ohio State's head coach? If he had not been hired by Gene Smith in 2018, who would have been hired instead? I would guess Mike Vrabel first and Matt Campbell as a strong second. Nathan, who do you think won? I think it might have been Luke Fickle, although you guys and our texters know that dynamic better than I do, and that might have precluded them from guessing that. Matt Campbell, overwhelming. Mm -hmm. 52% Matt Campbell, 22% Luke Fickle, 16% Mike Vrabel, 4% Bob Stoops, so the big four that we had mentioned. Among the other randos, I mean, nobody got more than like a handful of votes. So it's like Pat Fitzgerald got the most in the group of handful of votes. Among the handful of vote guys, Pat Fitzgerald got some, Tom Herman, Kevin Wilson, Dan Mullen, Greg Schiano got one, Chris Peterson got one. Um, and then, I mean, you're just playing, you're just playing good coach X, right? And they might've ended up playing good coach X. So I will tell you that I have three different scenarios of how I think it might've gone if they didn't do Ryan day. And Let's start with Nathan, though, because we're going to do some of these over the years where we're going to do some things that we weren't around for, right? I wasn't here when Jim Trestle got hired, but we'll do a version of what if they didn't hire Jim Trestle at some point on Buckeye. What is it? Buckeye fly? Buck fly? No. Buckeye fly. Buckeye fly effect. We'll do a version of Jim Trestle because that'll be interesting. So we'll have to go back and research and try to use our hindsight, right? Because we didn't live it in the moment. So, Nathan, you're dealing with that here but I want to hear your scenario. Ryan day, Gene Smith just says it's not Ryan day. I just can't hire a guy who's never been a head coach. Right. Which, which I don't think is an un is, I don't think that's a crazy disqualifying thing for a place like Ohio state. I mean, the whole thing at the moment was like, that's not what they do, man. You know, now the Lincoln Riley effect played on Gene Smith's mind. He talked with Joe Castigliano a lot, the Oklahoma AD who made that stoops to Lincoln Riley transition. I think that mattered to Gene. If Lincoln Riley had bombed, I'm not so sure Ryan Day would be the head coach at Ohio State. I think it mattered that much because it still was unusual at that time. A lot of stuff was if you're a great assistant, go, and then you'll be a candidate to come back. And then, Stephen, I want to get to the point that you raised when we were talking about what exactly our question would be for this Buckeye fly effect because I think you make an interesting point. But, Nathan, let's start with your scenario first. Who would the head coach be? Yeah, I also had a few different scenarios, but I think the one that I'll, I'll settle on 
and I think it makes the most sense from a couple of angles is the one that I mentioned, which would be bringing Luke Fickle back to Ohio State. Uh, they had gone, f- uh, he took over Cincinnati. They went four and eight the first year and then jumped all the way up to 11 and two in 2018. So he had demonstrated the ability to go to another program as a head coach and succeed. Now, that wasn't his own players yet. I know that's still a pretty dramatic turnaround. You were coming off of a season at Ohio State where defense was a liability. So I could see, and I, I understand what you're saying, I, and, and, and a lot of times coaches do tend to, to look on the offensive side of the ball, but I could understand also looking for someone who could come in and help fix the defense. Now, then the question is, do you still see that turnaround? Because then who does he hire as his assistants? Because people like Al Washington and um, Jeff Halfley were so instrumental in turning that defense around from 2018 to 2019. Al but, Washington worked for Luke at Cincinnati. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that's right. So I think that's likely that he, he that Al Washington still ends up here. You probably have a different defensive coordinator, but you know who the defensive coordinator would is? also be heavily involved with that. So. Marcus Freeman, former Marcus Freeman. Ohio State oh, linebacker. Yeah, yeah, Marcus Freeman. Here as well. right. Yeah. Who was, so, yeah. I, I, and, but then also the other thing here is there, you still also have some of that connection to the urban Meyer era. And I think that you could have, you already would have been able to not as directly as, as retaining day, but bring someone back in who still would have been able to bridge that gap or not that gap, but just kind of keep that structure intact in a very meaningful way. I think it, it, it seems like the safe choice or like the easy choice, but I think it also makes a lot of sense from a lot of different angles. I think that is very interesting. And it leads to a point that I asked the texters about, and I want to discuss from a big picture standpoint, I wonder about, and I, you know, I, I don't talk to Luke all the time. I talked to Luke recently. I know Luke a little bit. I mean, I, I sat down, I wrote a big story with Luke before he got the Cincinnati head job. I don't have a great sense of how, hurt he was when he did not get the full-time job on the hired urban Meyer. And I don't know if that would have been an impediment at all. And because it's the same AD, it's like, well, you didn't pick me the first time. Now you're going to pick me. And I don't know if it would have been any impediment for Luke or if it would have been any impediment for Gene. And that's not a shot. I mean, Luke is great. Luke is a great head coach. I don't know if it would have been seamless, like, cause it could be seamless, right? Hey, listen, Luke, I didn't hire you then because you had never been a head coach before. You had one year in a crazy situation here. And I had a two-time national championship head coach knocking on the door, but you went to Cincinnati. You were a great soldier. You helped Ohio state win a national championship as an assistant. And then you went to Cincinnati and you proved me not wrong, but you answered any question I might've had before. So come home. I, there's a way that could be seamless, Nathan, right? That like Gene and Luke could have been like, Hey man, ah, but like, yeah, now it's time. The timing is right. But I also think there's a way that it could have been like, eh, you know, like yeah. you didn't want me then. I don't. So if it's, you want me now, tough noogies. We're going back to the question about uh, the, um, how did people view the Ryan day higher at the time? And we all said risky would have been the good answer there. And you even wrote it at the time. Isn't like any higher Ohio state would have made at that point was risky to some extent with one possible exception. And that was hiring urban Meyer. Like, I feel like everything else came with a lot of, of unknowns and urban Meyer was like, just the, there were very few guys who really would be a home run hire for a program, the stature of Ohio state, like compare that to like Illinois, Illinois just hired Brett Bielema, but 
Illinois had a wide range of options they could have hired that carried almost no risk because Illinois has got nothing to lose. But at Ohio State, you not only have everything to lose, you had a situation where the expectations were that someone needed to come in and take it even higher. So if I'm Luke Fickle, as much as I could see being frustrated by that, I think I, you would hope that they would also have the perspective of why that hire was made, maybe not only just not giving you the job, but why they couldn't not hire Urban Meyer in that situation. Um, so I, I would hope that that could still be bridged, that, that, that whatever, whatever understanding there was there could, could be resolved to where a, a coach as, a, as, as talented as Luke Fickle could still be brought back in. The other thing to remember is he was the guy who had experience as being Ohio State's head coach, too, which is something you can't find in any other person on the market. Yeah, I mean, I do think in terms of risk, I mean, I think like David Shaw, right, like an established head coach who's been a winner, I think is not as risky. Right. So the thing that I think is interesting about Luke is that Luke worked for Trestle and Urban. Luke sort of singularly bridges that gap. But I think if you're honest about it, who he's like, he's more like Trestle. Now, Trestle was incredibly successful here, but Urban had kind of taken the program to a different place. So anything that felt like a return to Trestle, whether it's a little more conservative, like offensive play calling, and you rely on defense and special teams, whether it's recruiting strategy that really, really, really is Ohio first, national second, right? I think that might have been difficult for Ohio State to accept. Now, Luke's awesome. Luke's awesome as a recruiter. He's great in Ohio, but Luke also is the guy, and I'm sorry to keep talking about it, who went down and like got them Ryan Shazier in Florida, top 50, 150 national recruit in Florida. Who made that happen? Luke Fickle. Cam Hayward. Who did Cam Hayward's family in Georgia, who did Cam Hayward's family love? They love Luke Fickle. So it's not like Luke could not lead a national recruiting model but I, I just don't know. I'll be honest, Nathan, I can't go all the way with that scenario because there is something about it. I don't know if there'd be a hiccup because of how it went the first time around. And that if it's any kind of moderate return to a previous era where Ohio State was awesome, but not quite the same national deal. And that's not even fair. They won the national title in 02 and they played for it in six and seven. So that's, but they didn't recruit the same way. That's true. That's indisputable, good or bad. They didn't recruit the same way. And I don't know if people would have said, well, Luke Fickle, super duper Ohio guy, because what he's doing in recruiting at Cincinnati is perfect. He is the perfect guy to recruit to Cincinnati. Would he be the perfect guy to lead the recruiting operation for Ohio state with what Ohio state had become? I don't know if there's a question about that. And maybe I'm being unfair to Luke. But I think, again, if you're keeping the structure, if you're keeping the, the Pantone structure and letting that operation do what it does, I, I think that um, – and I, it's not like I think he's going to come in and like run the option. I mean, I think he's going to still play modern football. I just think keeping that, that support staff and that foundation in place solves the recruiting side of things. To, I know that the, the head coach still puts his stamp on it and is still the guy who, who leads it, but I would – I, I guess I'm giving Luke Fickle the benefit of the doubt that he would see what happened under Urban Meyer, see why all these players ended up at Ohio State, and think much as Ryan Day did. Why would I change that? And he is, he is, he stands alone in this moment as a guy who's both an inside hire and an outside hire. 
because, and I want to get to the question before we get to your scenario, Stephen, how important was it for Ohio State to hire from within to replace Urban Meyer and keep that structure in place? These were my options. Not that important, moderately important, incredibly important, or the out answer. Again, I told you I, I, I gave everybody an out with a lot of these, a lot of these answers because they're tough. An outside hire would have kept Mark Pantone, Mickey Marotti, and the best parts of the Meyer structure as well. So an inside hire wasn't a must. Now, the, the part of it that I think makes this interesting is Fickle is an inside hire and an outside hire. Frable is an inside hire and an outside hire. Mike Frable worked with Mickey Marotti and Mark Pantone. He lived it. Matt Campbell did not work at Ohio State. But his first job really in the business was a GA at Bowling Green right after Urban left. So he knows people who knows Urban. I don't know exactly what Matt Campbell and Urban Meyer's relationship is, but he's from Ohio, right? He played football. He's an Ohio guy. I think you could have presented Matt Campbell as an Ohio guy and been like, listen, dude, it's rolling here. Like Gene could have said, listen, you're the guy. But I got to tell you, I don't know that I'm making you because like when Urban was hired, Gene didn't make him keep Luke, but he strongly suggested he keep Luke on staff. And then Urban had to decide. Gene could have said to Matt Campbell, listen, brother, Pantone and Marotti are the guys. You don't want to mess with this. I promise you, whatever your strength and conditioning structure and your recruiting structure is at Iowa State, no offense to them. This is better. Meet with them and I highly recommend you keep them. So I do think a lot of what we talk about with Ryan Day is that he was able to keep the best parts of the Urban Meyer era rolling while bringing his own stamp and making it better in various ways, right? Quarterback recruiting, quarterback development, offensive ingenuity, all that kind of stuff. But we give a lot of credit to that. I don't know that Ryan Day in the end was uniquely situated to do that, Nathan. So my answer to this question is, an outside hire could also have kept it going. Not important, moderately, incredibly important, or an outside hire could have kept it going. Nathan, what would your answer be to that question? Uh, it was number four. It was an outside hire would have kept that structure. Steven, you're the recruiting guy. Do you believe that as well? Would that have made sense? Because it's not only recruiting, but I think it's recruiting first. No offense to Mick. Mick is so important. We know he's the off-season coach, but the, the talent collection, and strategy and with Pantone and that staff, do you think an outside hire Vrabel, Fickle, Campbell, maybe even somebody else, maybe David Shaw, maybe Pat Fitzgerald, maybe could they have kept it going? I think the outside guy being Luke, oh, well, Luke Fickle, Vrabel, or Matt, or Matt Campbell would have 100% kept that going because they under two of those guys understand it. And the other guy's an Ohio guy. I think everybody else maybe would have considered bringing in some other people, but then they would have had a conversation with Gene, just like how, uh, um, Urban Meyer did and it would have been strongly suggested that you keep that rolling because it's one less thing you have to worry about Urban didn't know Luke at all I mean like Urban didn't know Luke it's like hey this guy was the coach for a year he's been a long time assistant here he's good he's a co-defensive coordinator he recruits his butt off he's good they didn't know him and then he got to know him and he kept him so if you were outside guy X, good random coach X, I really think, and I don't know that they would have left, right? I don't know that Pantone and Mick and everybody else would have been in a hurry to be like, ah, you know what? I don't know, David Shaw. 
I'm going to go work because if Urban, right, wasn't going somewhere else immediately, well, they don't know anybody. I mean, I guess maybe if Dan Mullen wanted to hire him, right, or somebody else. But like other than that, it's like, well, then Mark Pantoni or Mickey Marotti would have just been looking for a job with some other place where they're not familiar. Here they were at least familiar with the place even if they weren't familiar with the coach. So I do think that's an important point because I think we all see it. And I don't think that's taking away from Ryan day, but is it is a component of his success. And I do believe that a multiple other options to be the head coach could have maintained that because it is incredibly important that won the vote 38%, moderately important 27%. Our scenario of an outside hire would have kept it 24%. Not that important, 11%. So I'm almost, 11% is almost a little high to me. I'm surprised that Matt, that many people went that way. Stephen, because we talk about it all the time, right? That like, I think Pantone and Marathi are as good as anybody who does what they do. Other guys, they might, other guys are good too, but I don't know that anybody's better. And so I don't think you should take that for granted. I'm a little surprised even 11% said it's not that big a deal. Yeah, it's not, it's individually, they're, will be the best at their job, but then the pairing of it. It's seamless. I mean, yeah, literally, Mark Pantone is the reason why that job exists across the country. He runs conferences in a normal world about it every single side. There's no reason to, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah, and I mean, and there's a history of that, right? I mean, like every, almost every head coach keeps some part of the previous regime, right? I mean, like if you're smart, you've got to have some kind of bridge, even if it wasn't a particularly successful, I mean, I guess if you bombed out, but like urban wasn't leaving a program in tatters, he was leaving a very strong program. So, I mean, the idea I think is, is like, why would you come in and sort of like just change guys for the sake of changing guys? Cause you still could bring in your guys. Um, but still keep this. So I think, I think that's an important point to make. All right. So Nathan, do you have any other scenarios you want? You said you had multiple scenarios, but in the end, like sort of your primary one was it would have been Luke. Any others you want to explain? Um, the one that I thought was fun and it was kind of been, it's, 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 whereas Luke fickle is like the inside insiders, outsider, or however you want to say it, sound like a politician. I was looking at like an outside hire that would have checked some of those same boxes again, coming off of, a time where you where Ohio State maybe was thinking it needed a defensive solution because it maybe it, it felt like it would it had the offensive tools in place coming up. I don't know. And but also looking around to the programs that as much as Ohio State had accomplished, could you go get somebody from one of those programs above them and have them meld that with whatever Urban Meyer was doing and make that something new. So the one I thought would have been interesting was Brent Venables. Okay. Defensive route. Also never been a head coach was not one of the options I put out there, right. but established and, and he'd take it. I mean, he'd take I would it think so. Second. I mean, yeah, yeah. If you think about it as like, if you're Brent Venables and you haven't taken a head coaching job at this point, there has got to be a very, very, very short list of the ones that you would leave for. But I have to assume that Ohio State would be on that list. And I think if you're someone like him, to go back to the conversation we just having a couple minutes ago, and you're making your own calls, because it's not just the name of Ohio State that would make you take the job. I think you're going to do your due diligence. When you start calling around the, your connections in the Big Ten and asking, why is this a place that you know isn't on a downturn? Why is this a place that could still win? The first name that people are going to throw back at you is Mark Pantone, I think. 
I feel like you keep that established. And you've already seen that as Brent Venables because you've been recruiting against those guys on a national level and you know that it comes back to that. So I think whoever they hire, again, probably keeps that structure in place. All right, Stephen, before we get to your scenario, I want to bring up the thing you mentioned, which is we maybe we're going to start with the idea of what if Ryan Day had taken the Mississippi State head job in 2018? Urban Meyer that offseason and explaining why they gave Ryan Day a raise to $1 million a year as an assistant coach as Shiano and, and Day became the first million-dollar assistants in Ohio State history, said, hey, an SEC team tried to hire this guy. And Joe Moorhead, the Penn State offensive coordinator, ended up being the Mississippi State head coach. They came to Ryan Day first. Also, the Tennessee Titans. Mike Vrabel, as the head coach, tried to hire Ryan Day as the offensive coordinator. If Ryan Day had taken the Mississippi State head coaching job, Stephen, do you think that would have precluded this from happening? Because, A, he would not have been around to be the three-game head coach while Urban Meyer was out, which Gene has said mattered. You know, like, I, I, I still, I don't know that, like, if Ryan Day had never done that and Ryan and Urban Meyer, if there was no controversy with Urban Meyer and he just only said, my head hurts, I'm leaving. And the season otherwise had been normal. I still think they would have gotten to Ryan Day. Maybe a little more trepidation, but I still think he would have gotten there. I just don't know that like, and they yes, he led him through practice and that kind of thing. But like, you know, Ryan Day beats TCU as the head coach. And it's like, that's it. I think if Gene was 100% sure because of the three-game stretch, I think he still would have been 90 or 85% sure anyway. But also, if, if he had gone to Mississippi State, Stephen, he would have been head coach for a whole year. So the question would have been, would, would Gene still have gone to him if he wasn't on the staff in the moment? And would Ryan Day have come back to do it? Or would there, been, would there have been some weird, like, well, I don't want to leave Mississippi State. I've only been here a year. If Ryan Day had gone to Mississippi State, would he have not wound up as the head coach or would it still have unfolded mostly the same way? The reason I would lean towards a no is because of, I mean, Joe Moorhead was highly regarded as an offensive coordinator and quarterback coach as well before he left for that job. And I mean, he was at Penn State and Justin, Justin Fields committed at one point. I think there's an element of... Joe Moorhead went eight and five his first year and then six and seven his, his second year. How much better, given the, the resources and the talent that is Mississippi State in the SEC, how much better is Ryan Day than eight and five and then six and seven? Well, he only would have and been there one year. Because, he only would have been there one year. He only would have been there one year. Right, so eight, eight, Just eight, eight and five. You're, okay. So this five at Mississippi State look better than just three and oh given everything that was going on around him at ohio state so so there's two questions here one is would he have been any there's three questions would he have been any less or more qualified by being a head coach there for a year instead of still being on ohio state staff and leading the three game thing is he any and is he any less or more attractive as a head coach because you're trying to sell hey the three and oh assistant versus the eight and five head coach at mississippi state and is Gene any more or less comfortable with him, right? So there's three mm -hmm. different things there. I think he's probably even more qualified because he would have been a whole head coach for a year. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that Gene would have been – I think Gene would have been slightly less comfortable because he wouldn't have lived watching Ryan Day navigate the craziness. Every, right, day to day. 
day and also the day to day of just this is exactly what a Ryan Day head coaching experience looks like, even if it's only in a three week period where Urban Meyer is still kind of around. He's just not there on on game day. You get a feel for what you're getting. But so but he loved him before. I mean, they thought they saw it. They saw the reason they named Ryan Day as the interim head coach when Urban was out because it was because of what they saw the first two years. So they had a two year good look at this. No, one year, good look, I guess. Yeah, 2017. and then, yeah. So he only year. would have left that. They would have had one year to get to know him. I don't know. I think it's – so you would say if Ryan Day had taken the Mississippi State head coaching job, he would not be Ohio State's head coach. I don't think so because he would have only been here for a year. And yep. we so we wouldn't have gotten the Dwayne Haskins experience with him. We'd have got JT Barrett, and then he would have left. And – we, I mean, eight and five. We can't say he'd have been that much but better. But why are you to, caught up on that? I mean, Mississippi State blows. Eight and five at Mississippi State is like going undefeated at Ohio State. It just seems like a more comfortable pick, even if it's it, from the outside looking in, it seems riskier when he's never been a head coach than to go down there and and be just eight and five. You think that's perception that like it would be hard to sell the Ohio State fan base on an eight and five head coach? I think so. Okay, I disagree with that. So and and I'll have an per- example on that. Nathan, go ahead. I was say, I don't think perception. I, I kind of take perception out of this a little bit because if Gene Smith had been worried about perception, he probably wouldn't have promoted Ryan Day, who had never been a head coach in the first place, when he had the decision to make. I think that the the biggest reason that he wouldn't have been is they wouldn't have known him as well. They would have only known him for a year, and it would have been like I thought I saw something because I talked to Gene for a story the year after a year later after the hire, and Gene was explaining to me. That I got actually, I actually got a good one here, Briggs. It's not just you. I that that he was Ryan Day was the only guy that that Gene ever saw this way. He did not see Tom Herman in the same way when Tom Herman was here. He said, "This is the only excuse me assistant that I would have promoted. I normally wouldn't do it. Ryan Day is special." The the the, the point, I guess, Stephen, to your point is. Could you have seen enough of what makes Ryan Day special in the mind of both Gene Smith and Urban Meyer in a year? Could you have seen it in a year? Would you have seen enough? I don't buy the perception thing, and this is slightly different, but w- when you're a coach somewhere else, I mean, you can't go undefeated. That's the whole point, that it's not set up to do it. Earl Bruce left Ohio State. He was gone for quite a bit before they replaced him with Woody. I mean, before he replaced Woody. He, he was with Woody through 1971. He went to Tampa in 1972. He went 10-2. and two. Then he went to Iowa State. He was at Iowa State for six years. He went four and seven, four and seven, four and seven, eight and three, eight and four, eight and four, and they hired him. And he was kind of like the guy, like he's the guy to replace Woody because going eight and four at Iowa State, pretty good. You know, like I think going eight and five, and I don't think Ryan Day would have done any worse at Mississippi State than Joe Moorhead did. So that's why I'm comfortable saying eight and five. I think that would have been fine. I think it would have been, do you know him? My conclusion, Nathan, in the end is, it still would have been Ryan Day. And I'm not so sure it wouldn't have been easier for Ryan Day. Because you say, this guy was awesome as an assistant. We did everything we could to keep him. We kept, we tried to give him a million dollars. We tried to keep him. He was like, I, I want to be a head coach. I have no idea when Urban's going to leave. I have to. I, I'm a head coach. And this is an SEC job. It kills me. I love it here. I can't turn this down. For my family and my career, I can't turn it down. I've got to go. He goes. Gene gets on the horn with the AD at Mississippi State, says, man, he went eight and five. How do you do? Mississippi State AD says, man, I'm, this kills me to say this. He's got it. He's it, brother. 
I'll tell you, he's it. Dean Smith says, I'm stealing him. And that's it. And they'll pay the buyout. They'll pay whatever it takes. I think he still ends up here. That is not a Buckeye effect, Buckeye fly effect to me, Nathan. I think we wind up in the same place. So we're Nate, Steven and I are split on that. Where would you land, Nathan? I think you're probably right. I think, again, and for a lot of programs, the one thing, and you just mentioned it, that could be the stumbling block is the buyout, depending on how big of a contract Ryan Day got there. And then assuming, like, there would probably be some kind of extension happening for him after that first year. So Ohio State's got to sneak in before that happens, and all the timing has to work out right. But I, I think you're probably right. I don't think him going to Mississippi State for one year, especially a guy who's not from the South. I, let's, let's also factor that in here, too, that from a cultural standpoint, I, he might have been looking for the first chance to go back north, back east, whatever. All right. Steven, what's your scenario? What is your let's, – so, so let's, let's assume he didn't go. He didn't. He stayed just like he did. What's your scenario if they don't hire Ryan Day on December 4th, 2018? I think they go get Matt Campbell and the reason why they need an offensive guy. I, I, I just think there's something in this air day of college football, you need an offensive mind being your head coach, unless you're Nick Saban, who's the goat. I think about all the other, I mean, Lincoln Riley's an offensive guy. Dabo Sweeney's an offensive guy. You, you need an offensive guy to compete at that level. And I think, Matt Campbell would have given you the opportunity to also hold on to some of the guys that Ryan Day was responsible for on the recruiting trail. The Harry Millers, the Garrett Wilsons, the Jack Millers, the CJ Strouds, the Quinn, the Quinn Ewers, the Kyle McCords. I think it's, when that's the guy in charge, it keeps you, it gets you in a better position to recruit the quarterback, but then also bring in some of the offensive talent that Ohio State has started to bring in in this regime. I think that makes a lot of sense. And do you think it would have been pretty seamless? I was looking, Matt Campbell, it was weird. They had some weird, something happened at Iowa State that year. That, that year. They had a game canceled early in the year by like bad weather. And they replaced, I think it might have been South Dakota State or something. They replaced them with Incarnate World. And then Incarnate Word. World. Word. Word. Incarnate Word. Oh, it is Word? Yes. Oh, like Word from God. It's not, yes. it's not the whole world is incarnate. Yes. Let me ask a question. We like to also inform and educate our audience on Buckeye Talk. What's incarnate mean? It's something churchy. <laughs> What's incarnate mean? Buckeye Talk. All right. I don't know what that means. Something, I know that churchy Buckeye Talk. Yeah. No, no one's that, doing that. I don't, I don't know what it means. That, that school made the FCS playoffs and then had to back out. So they played Drake. And it's funny in terms of perfe- perception, Stephen. I didn't look exactly how it unfolded. They played Drake on December 1st in this weird last game. They only won 27-24. Yeah. So now I'm doing like a Buckeye fly effect of like, if they had hired Matt Campbell and Matt Campbell was the head coach right now, the Buckeye fly effect that we would be doing would be, what if Drake had beaten Ohio State? I mean, had beaten <laughs> Iowa State. And and like Gene Smith was like, I can't announce a guy who just lost to Drake. Yeah. So anyway, I think a lot of that makes sense. And I think the offensive thing that you brought up is really important. I've been thinking about this a lot because it screws teams up so much when your head coach is not the guy who establishes your offensive identity. Often he's often the play caller, but if he's not the play caller, it's usually because he was a play caller and he's now given that up, but it's still his offense, right? It is such an offensive game. It creates an immediate problem right? Like Mike Vrabel is a really good hood coach at Tennessee. Arthur Smith just left as the offensive coordinator to be the head coach in Atlanta. And I'm not so sure like 
Mike Vrabel, I think they'll figure it out, but he's in a little bit of a pinch. You know, Coach O, when Joe Brady's there as the offensive coordinator, he's a genius. Joe Brady leaves. Now, the whole team left, too. I get it. But they really, Joe Brady really made a difference. So, like, if Joe Brady's the head coach, then Joe Brady can't ever leave Joe Brady. If Ryan Day's the head coach, Ryan Day can't ever leave Ryan Day. I think it's important. I think it's why the Browns hired Kevin Stefanski. I, they, they, they interviewed Brian Flores along the way. I love Brian Flores as a candidate. I'd hire him a million times out of a million. He's doing great things in Miami. I don't even know who Miami's offensive coordinator is, but you know who, who knows Brian Flores does. And if the, the thing is, if you're, if you don't have an offensive head coach, if you're successful and your offense is great, you're going to lose the guy who's in charge of the great thing. And I just think in this world, Steven, offensive coordinators are harder to replace than defensive coordinators. And I know that it mattered to Gene. Your point about making it an offensive guy, Gene was thinking that same way too, which is, a, which is a, a, against Fickle, which is against Frable, which would be against a hire like Brent Venables. And I'm not saying Brent Venables wouldn't have been a good hire, but I think it affected Gene's thinking. And I think to the point, if Ryan Day was Ryan Day, but he was the defensive version of Ryan Day, if he was Jeff Halfley, right? Be- I don't know that they would have promoted it. And whether that's fair or not, I think it's the way football's working right now. And there's sort of like an unfairness to it, but there's also a lot of like, it's pretty reasonable too. So I think Matt Campbell sliding in, they just beat Drake. You could have slid him in three days later. And I think Steven, they would have done this. I think Matt Campbell comes in and then Matt Campbell would have been around. I mean, like Matt Campbell, like would have undergone like a month long Urban Meyer internship as part of it, right? That he leaves the part of the condition of him coming is I know sometimes it's like the guy, usually it's when it's only the playoffs, you stay, you coach your team through the postseason. This would have been like, I'm sorry, you're not coaching Iowa State in the postseason because you are coming in our building to watch how this works because we love you, Matt Campbell, for who you are. But part of what you're going to do is keep this going. And you give them a month-long internship up into the Rose Bowl, and that helps ease that transition that we had just been talking about. Steven, I, I think there's a lot of Matt Campbell that would have worked. And you can that to Iowa State because it's you know they're not playing in a new. It's not like they were they, that year. They're not playing in a, a, a game or even a New Year's Six Bowl or type of bowl where no, we want to hold on to our coach for another month. No, I think you probably sell that to Iowa. State. That makes a lot of sense because then you're not worried about whether he's going to get rid of Mark Pantoni or. Uh, Mick Marotti he, and he make and it gives him also time to, to pick his staff without coming in on January 2nd, having the rush staff says. Yeah. You get to know. Okay. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I want to keep Tony Alford. Oh yeah. 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 No, I, I want to keep Larry Johnson. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I want to keep, you know, like that, that would have happened. Well, we'll talk about it exactly what we think. Cause there's a question. There's one of the last two questions, which is like, how good would the program be? if it wasn't Ryan day. And I, I want to talk about that specifically in terms of, of our answers. Steven, do you have any other alternate scenarios or Matt Campbell's kind of your guy? I think uh, given where things were then and some of the other names that we've thrown out there, I think Matt Campbell makes the most sense, just the offensive side. He's a younger coach around the same age as Ryan day. So that probably plays a role into it as well. That just seems like the next best fit. If you're going to go outside guy. All right. So I did three scenarios. If I was doing like what I actually think would have happened and the easiest one, it would be Steven's scenario. It would be Matt Campbell, slide him in, Ohio guy, proven he could do it at Iowa State. 
that's a reasonable jump to me. I think he fits a lot of what they want to do. I, I think it would have worked. And, and that's the easy one to me. Can I just say real quick, like, yep. Proving he could do it at Ohio at Iowa state. Like he'd gone eight and five twice. Like that alone, that enough proves you think at the Ohio state standard that he can do it. Yeah. What do you do? I mean, it's to the point we're making of like, yeah, we're I mean, if, if, about Ryan day. No, I mean, I, I mean, it's one of those things. It's like, well, I mean, unless you're hiring, like, unless you're hiring Dabo, I mean, it's like how, you know, I, I mean, I, 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 yes, I think what Matt Campbell did at Iowa state is similar enough to what John Cooper did at Arizona state making a Rose bowl. And it's similar enough to what, what Jim Tressel did winning, you know, FCS national championships at Youngstown state in its own way. He raised the level of a program significantly. And now what he's done since has added on to it. So is, is part of what you're saying here, Nathan, that the Matt Campbell that we see now was not as firmly established two years ago because Matt Campbell, the last two seasons has built on it and won big games and kept it rolling. And that we are applying the modern day Matt Campbell to the 2018 Matt Campbell in a way that you think is not quite right. And, and to be fair, he had made Toledo a top 25 program before going to Iowa States, obviously. So, but, and he took over a situation where a uh, new Ohio state defensive analyst, Paul Rhodes had had six straight losing seasons, including three and nine, two and 10, three and nine. So he was taking over a, I think, no question, bad program in 2016 and then three and nine, eight and five, eight and five. So he had made that kind of that same jump that fickle had made although yep. Fickle got all the way up to 11 wins. That's, I guess, why I still leaned more towards Fickle, though, was just the, the Ohio State connection. But I, I, I just, I, I guess I'm not as impressed yet by Matt Campbell as other people have been. In 2018 uh, or I, now? Either one, really. Oh, I think Matt Campbell is the hottest young coach in college. For the football. sake of, yeah, and for the sake of what we brought up with, uh, when I was talking about Ryan Day going to Mississippi State, it's the same concept if he's, eight and five at Mississippi state. And if that's sure. enough for Gene Smith to go, yeah, let's bring him back. It's the same concept. Cause it's the same level of program. 2020 I mean, was the same. It was the first year that I thought I saw Matt Campbell do something like special, but he had, he had beaten a couple teams. He'd had a win or something in there. Did he beat Oklahoma or Oklahoma state? He'd ruined somebody's season. He wasn't just going eight and five beating Kansas, you know, and creepy grandpa. So like, I, like, I think that that's, I'm going to do that by the way now too. Would you like to come up to my apartment and uh, eat some grass? What a freaking creep. No, 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 not doing it. Not doing that. All right. I'm not trying to be dismissive. I'm trying to like, I'm trying to cast aspersions on LSU, Kansas and Les Miles. Can I do that? Every, every time a reporter says, and I do it. Yes. Every time a reporter says, uh, why is this school spending $500,000 on a search firm to make this hire? And AD is going to point to less miles at Kansas and say, that's why, because they didn't. So you don't hire you may, your friend. Yeah. You may shame less miles, but we can't mock. We can't do the voice with that one. Cause that's serious. Okay. You're right. I like that. We have standards. It's like, it's like the 20, yeah. the guy in his twenties <laughs> is pulling back the weird old man from the edge of being like, that's inappropriate, Doug. That's inappropriate. I get it. All right. Uh, only bad things about, everybody involved with yeah. that situation poorly done by all of you. So I think, I think and it's one of those things like Matt Campbell and Ryan day are the same age. I just said, Matt Campbell is the hottest young coach in college football. Ryan day hasn't lost to the big 10 in two years. So it's like, it's Ryan day first, but I do think I like people want Matt Campbell. I mean, like, right. I mean, Matt Campbell just parlayed everybody wanting him to into a big extension at Iowa state. And he's just waiting. I mean, he's just waiting. 
So, I mean, he's going to be the next coach at Penn State or Michigan or all. I, I don't even know. Like, not Auburn. Like, not Auburn. He's not leaving until he gets a top 10 job. So, like, Oklahoma, Ry- Lincoln Riley goes to the NFL. Then they, they give a godfather offer to Matt Campbell. Like, that's what he's waiting for. Um, all right. I have three scenarios for mine. Easy. Matt Campbell is easy and logical. It's probably the one that I would pick. I, here's my crazy scenario, which would not happen. But can I say it? Can I say it? How about you bring back a guy, a proven winner, Ohio Roots, went to college in Ohio, had coached in the state of Ohio for a long time, proven winner, proven recruiter, had done it at the highest level, and perhaps would be looking for a new kind of challenge. Who am I talking about? Now I'm just being a smug jerk. Let me Bill tell you. Belichick? Almost. There's a there's a thing where do we do a thing with like with the, the Indians. We do a Cleveland Indians breakfast with readers where we usually do it in person and people come and you have a buffet breakfast and we talk about the Indians and I do it just because they need another body. But it's with the people who actually know about the Indians. So we're doing that remotely this year. So do it. And they drew cartoons of us, of me, Terry Pluto, Joe Noga and Paul Hoynes. I'll share the cartoon. The, it is, I am, it's the generic white male. It's just like generic white male. But the only reason that I know it's me is because the cartoon is smirking smugly. And I was like, oh, they got, they got that. None of the rest of it looks like me, but it's like they got the smugness. They captured my smugness. So I'm being smug about my little game here. Because you know who it is? Nick Saban. Texas tried like a mamma jamma to get Nick Saban along the way. And Nick Saban and his agent, whether it was just a ploy to get more out of Alabama, danced a couple years ago. They danced. What else does he have to prove, man? Now, I don't think he doesn't have a Buckeye nut in his pocket like Urban Meyer did growing up. He's not from Ohio. He's from West Virginia. But he played at Kent State. He coached at Toledo. He coached with the Browns. He coached in the Big Ten with Michigan State. He's revolutionized the SEC. Now, do you want to follow Urban Meyer? I don't know. But what if you want to follow Urban Meyer and do better? You are the two, the only guy in, the, in, the, in Nick Saban's era who is close to him is Urban Meyer. And Urban Meyer won a national championship at Ohio State in seven years, won one. What if Nick Saban came to Ohio State and won four in seven years? Just because he could. Just because he was in the mood to dork around where else could Nick Saban go? He didn't take Texas, but you know why he didn't take Texas? Cause Texas is still kind of screwed up, right? Have you, have you been reading what Texas is like? What the donors at Texas are like, have you been reading? I'm not saying Ohio state's perfect, right? It's not, it's a big time football factor. And they have donors who want stuff done a certain way too. All I'm telling you is it's better than Texas. Where else could Nick Saban go? If Nick Saban had any inkling in his mind of, I don't want to end my career at Alabama, or at least I'm open to not ending my career at Alabama. Where else could he go? What else is even on the radar for him? So if well, Gene, especially because of his dalliance with the NFL that didn't go anywhere. Right. So if Gene Smith, first of all, if Ryan Day wasn't staying or staring Gene Smith in the face, should he call? And if he did call, is there any chance that Nick Saban would have answered that call? 
Steven, what do you think? I mean, I know it's out of left field. I'm asking if it's more than zero, more than 0% chance it could happen. I think the selling point is you just got a bunch of inner city kids to come to Tuscaloosa, Alabama for the past 15 years. You know how much easier you could sell them on Columbus, especially with the new NIL rules. Come on, man. But I think I'll save a lot of this for, I think we should do it. The gym trust. Someone's going to get interesting. What if tattoo gate happens three years earlier? Okay. Now you're just doing a different, now you're just know, doing a different I'm, podcast. Because, yeah, I know. I know. What are you I'm, doing? I'll, 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 now I'll, you're just I'll doing a it. different podcast. Yeah, I know. I'll, I'll, I'll save it. I, you call, sure. for the Because it doesn't hurt anything to call. It doesn't get you anywhere. But It gets you, you nowhere? He hangs up immediately. I mean, he probably has a seven-minute conversation to catch up on how the kids and grandkids are doing, but it doesn't, it doesn't get you anywhere. You're Ohio State. Nathan, does he hang up? First of all, do you think Gene would have called, and does Nick Saban hang up immediately? The first part is more interesting than the second, almost. I think the second one, I think, yeah, I think he listens. I think, you know, his, he, he, you know, his, he, certainly the call goes to his agent first. His agent reaches out to him and says, Hey, do you want to meet in a, a, a hotel room in uh, Atlanta or whatever and talk about this? And he would have said, Okay. I think that would have happened. The, the question of whether Gene would have reached out, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting one. I'm, I'm, I suspect maybe not. I suspect maybe that's not what they were going to do there. Here's the, here's the truly um, the hot take on Nick Saban. Uh, he's only ever won in the SEC, really. He was at, at, at Michigan State. He was a very ordinary coach for four years, and then the fifth year they won nine games, and that, he got LSU off of that. But th- three six-win seasons and a seven-win season. So if I'm Nick Saban, maybe I'm, I like my situation down the south because I think if I go back up north, maybe I can't keep this going. Are you putting the GOAT in context? That's like saying Michael Jordan only won because he was in the Eastern Conference. No, that's not like saying that at all. That's a it very is. Thing. It, no, it's it not literally is. It's not at all like that because the, the, your recruiting base and culture and things like that are a indelible part of what your program is in college football. Which division you're in, which conference you're in in NBA is not nearly as significant over a long but period Alabama, of time. Alabama is a national – they recruit everywhere. They recruit <laughs> everywhere. I mean, to Steven's point, well, no matter where you are, you still have to beat everybody to win it all. So, so the point of like, well, Alabama was there, but then they, they beat all comers. But Nathan, you're saying there's something intrinsic about SEC football itself with how much people care about it and how many good players are in that area that if you're great, it's all there. Saban's great, and it's all right in front of him. Saban's great. Come to Ohio, maybe it's a little harder. I, I think – that would have had to have been a part of the decision-making process for Nick Saban, I think, would be for him to say, yes, I've done all of these great things, but not just going to another school would make a difference. Going to Ohio State specifically and truly making Ohio State not just king of the north, but like elevating them to the levels that he was at. But I think it's a, I think it's a harder challenge, as we've talked about on the podcast before. Right. And Urban undertook it. For a variety exactly. of reasons. It made sense for Urban, I think, personally, more than it would have made sense for Saban. But I'm not sure it would have made – I think it might have made a little bit of sense for Saban. It's one of those things, again, like, like the thing I said. Okay, if you present the fact of Nick Saban is open to the idea of not ending his career at Alabama, right? So that's what you have to get past. So that might be impossible to get past. There's no more discussion. He's staying in Alabama. But I would argue that the Texas dalliance – means at least that door is cracked, okay? If that's the fa- – if, if that – if you lined up the neck just in a vacuum, 
Name five jobs that would make sense for Nick Saban to take on any level. If he's leaving Alabama, right. where is he going? I think Ohio State's in the top five. But why did Texas come after Nick Saban? I think Texas was at a point of desperation to find someone to get them back to where they think they're supposed to be that Ohio State was not at. So you would think that the people who would be less in, the, the the side of the equation that's less interested here in your mind is not Saban, it's Ohio State. It's not it's not a matter of interest, but it's a matter of the motivation to actually pursue it, if you understand what I'm saying there. Yeah, because I guess there's a downside to like, oh, hey, Ohio State tried to steal Alabama's coach. Didn't work. You suck. We're the king, right? That might come into play. Yeah. You don't want to be rejected. I, I, I don't really – do I think it would happen? No, I do not think it would happen. Could I make an argument? Could I make an argument that it's not impossible? Yeah, I think I could. So that's my crazy. Matt Campbell's the easy, logical, what I think would happen. Nick Saban is crazy. Here's my disastrous scenario. My disastrous scenario is that Mike Vrabel is the lead candidate. And when Urban Meyer is ready to announce this in December, they're still in the middle of the NFL season. And now listen, when Mike Vrabel left Ohio State to be an assistant coach for the Houston Texans, I was told at that time that the goal for him was to either be an NFL head coach or the coach at Ohio State. So I don't know that Ohio State is first on that list, right? I don't, I'm not saying that Mike Vrabel would leave a current NFL head job to come to Ohio State. I don't know that to be true. I know he was interested at, uh, in his career in being Ohio State's head coach, which makes sense. So I think that part of it would be possible. But he's in the middle of the NFL season. What are you going to do? Okay, and he's not going to come like be Urban Meyer's apprentice. He's got to finish the NFL season. So you wait. Whether that means you don't announce anything, Right. And Urban's just going it. And you tell Urban, man, you've got to hang on through the Rose Bowl. You don't get to sort of have this coronation. We don't have a month of like, hey, it's your last game. Isn't it great? We've just got to hold on because we're trying to get Vrabel and we've got to wait for the NFL season to end. That happens. Urban resigns after the Rose Bowl and they're trying to get Vrabel. And Vrabel knows, like, Vrabel has given Ohio State interest, has given them indications along the line that he's interested, but he's not sure. And Vrabel eventually decides, I, I'm still new to the Tennessee thing. I think I've got a shot to win a Super Bowl here. I'm not leaving. And Vrabel turns him down. Now they're into January. Now they go to Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell knows he wasn't the first choice. And now this, this, the disastrous scenario is your first choice says no. And now you get caught in. People you're going to now know they're not the first choice. So you go to Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell's had a month to think about it. He knows he's not the guy. Do I want to follow a legend? I don't get this apprenticeship. I don't really know what's going on over there. I know Mike Brable used to work there and just said no. Iowa State gives him a monster offer to stay. And Matt Campbell decides, I'm going to get a great job. I'm not super interested in following a legend. Lots of people don't want to follow legends. Now they go to Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle's like, you know what? You didn't want me the first time around when I saved your bacon in a crisis. Now I'm the public third choice, cram it. And Luke makes peace with the idea of, I might never be Ohio State's head coach. I love the university. I'm not necessarily thrilled with the football program at the moment. I'm happy at Cincinnati. Now what? Now you're just like every other school in the world. And now, if, the, if you believe the fourth guy's Bob Stoops, I think Bob Stoops is a mistake. I think trying to recycle a guy who had already burned out and is, and is Urban Meyer light. And I think 
Fox College Football pregame show is going to find that out too. No offense to Bob Stoops, that I don't think he's as good as Urban Meyer, either as a coach or on TV. I think that's the danger zone. I think if you wind up with Bob Stoops because he doesn't have a job and he's from Ohio and you think you can replicate with Urban did what Urban did, I think you are in the danger zone. And if you don't go Stoops, now you're just trolling for good coach X who wants to come here. But now you're a little bit behind the time frame, right? Now the recruiting stuff's a little, you've been up in the air a little bit. Now you're on the edge. Now it's more difficult to maybe keep the structure in place, right? And all of a sudden, you might wind up with just like a good coach coming in raw. And that is where I think you wind up in a scenario where Ohio State falls off a little bit. And I don't think that's an impossible scenario, which leads me back to if in the moment I thought Ryan Day was a risk because he had never been a head coach, the timing of how this went down with Urban, the idea that like this might have been out there. Now, Stephen, maybe you just hire Matt Campbell. Boom, he comes right away. It's easy. This scenario leads me to, you know what? Like Gene was on to something here. You want to keep this urban thing going. The timing of it, you want it to be smooth. You don't want distractions. You don't even want a month of uncertainty. You don't want to have a news conference where Urban Meyer resigns and the new coach is not sitting next to him. Because then you get a month of coverage only about the resignation. You get more coverage of Zach Smith. You get more coverage of what's Urban, what are Urban and Michael Drake, what's their relationship really like? You have a month of the, the, the gone without the immediate new. And to me, this leads me back to at the time, I thought, man, why are they hiring a guy who's never been a head coach before? This is Ohio State. I think I realized in the moment they couldn't risk this. And if they thought Ryan Day was special, that was a reason, but not risking my disaster scenario was another reason to do what they did. Now, might have worked with Matt Campbell? It might have. And it might have worked with Luke Fickle if you went that way. It might have. But, man, Nathan, this thing I'm outlying has given me a knot in my stomach, right? Because Not because, right, that I'm – but, like, it's complicated. And complicated things make me nervous. And I think that might have been out there for Ohio State if they had handled it a different way. And again, the the difference with all that scenario you're talking about is all those guys are like good candidates, but they're not Urban Meyer. When you when you had a chance to hire Urban Meyer, it was like you have to do it. Like you just you can't not hire him. I don't care what had really happened that in the way things fizzled out of Florida. When it was mutually there, you had to follow through. This other scenario you're talking about. When, when you guys start passing on the job at that point or things aren't working out and you get farther down that list, yeah, then you are you are put in kind of a scramble mode. And, and by doing what they did, that succession plan kind of on the fly, that took out that um, – it, it removed a lot of that uncertainty. And it just – it took – it removed – it didn't put Ohio State in that position of weakness, of desperation. Yes. They got to they got to kind of control the narrative. Even if Ryan Day was a risky choice, they got to put it out there as not risky to us. We believe in this guy. He's going to be the next the guy, and we're we're putting our faith behind him. It, it's that controlled the message. I think that scenario you just pointed out is why Mike Vrabel could not at all be a candidate. 
because I mean, it, you're right. It's what if I'm one to something who might win a Super Bowl? Well, they went nine and seven that year and finished third in the division, and then went nine and seven the next year and lost in the conference championship game, and then they went eleven and five this next year. So yeah, he's clearly on to something at Tennessee with that style of play, and you can't afford that. So the, him being an NFL head coach could he's already out. He 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 can't even be on the list of candidates because he's a good NFL head coach. Now I think he, but I think he could be on the list of candidates if like your head coach just retired normally, right? If your head yeah. coach retired after the bowl or if you weren't getting it done and like after the bowl, you took like a week or two and evaluated and said, we're firing our head coach. And now the NFL season is done. I don't think Mike Rabel being an NFL head coach excludes him because there's no chance he would have left the NFL. I think Mike Vrabel being an NFL head coach might exclude him because of the timing involved here and that he had a month left in his regular season and that if they wanted it to work this way, it couldn't have worked this way with an NFL head coach. Because they're right. a healthy program. Yes. It's, well, but it, That's the key. Yeah. Him being an NFL head coach excludes him from a healthy program conversation. But And you're also probably not trying to fi- to hire a, an NFL head coach that isn't winning to some extent, too. Yeah, because no. even, if, even if Mike Vrabel was like, even if the Texans or the Titans were more like a well, they almost were kind of a 500 program, even though they're making the playoffs at the time. But I'm just saying, like, he's not going to – there's no contract he can sign in December that the Titans are going to let him sign to succeed Urban Meyer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it had to be a backroom deal of, like, listen, mm-hmm. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. It's but cool. I'm coming. I'm coming. You. But that's scary. Yeah. That's scary. Because all of a sudden, then, like, right, right, you make a run, and then he's like, holy crap, we're like a borderline – like, I think we, we're better than I thought. We had a yeah. great last month. You know, like, I think – I think there's some danger there and we can what if it, and I don't want to what if the what if. So it's like the reality was urban was resigning then. And Mike Vrabel was in that situation then. So I do think it is complicated in this actual reality of our fake reality. It would have been complicated for Vrabel. So, so those are my scenarios. You know, we didn't have a ton of the texters who necessarily said, here's my scenario, but I want to involve some texture uh, responses here. From the 480, they're talking about the Mark Helfrich, Larry Coker question. That last question is a hard no. Guys like Mark Helfrich couldn't recruit and had limited success with talent already there after the first year. Ryan Day has taken the recruiting into overdrive with the offensive talent they're getting. He isn't close to those guys, and he can't be considered that with what he has recruited. From the 937, I think this is a really good point. Something I would like to add about my survey is I felt a lot better about Ryan Day as a hire because he had Urban's endorsement. And Urban said he felt comfortable retiring because the program was going today. I think that is a really smart, interesting way for people to address like, well, what? You didn't know Ryan Day, but he had the endorsement of Gene and Urban. From the 336, Absolutely no chance Day falls off like Helfrich and Coker did. Day is recruiting better than Urban did. Day is a better play caller, and he runs a better scheme for modern football than Urban. Helfrich took over a talent deficit team run by an offensive mastermind. That indicates it was all chip. Coker's recruiting started to fall off. Once they were his guys, they were still good, but not as good as Peak Miami. Day is bringing in more talent than arguably any three-year period in the history of Ohio State football. That says something. Day still has some hiccups, no doubt, but those are fixable hiccups. Things like, why didn't you call a timeout right there? And why are you calling long passing plays when Sermon is averaging 15 yards per carry? Um, I, think, I, think that's a good, 
I think those are all good points. Kind of what we talked about from the four one nine. I was actually glad we were replacing urban with day at the time. I viewed it as an upgrade. I was of the opinion that we needed a refresh. I didn't view urban as being able to get us over the hump anymore. It was mutually beneficial for everyone for urban to get a change of scenery, but I'll always be grateful to him for what he built and what he left behind from the two five Oh, the last question about the program falling off under day is incredibly unlikely because of three things. One, it's Ohio state. It's the most consistent program in NCAA history Two, Ryan day's record as a head coach, two losses in two years, three, this is the biggest reason recruiting it's better under day, which is crazy. I thought the recruiting would fall off a bit and come in somewhere between urban and trestle. And that hasn't happened. That's Jamie, our friend from Victoria, Canada. This is a good example of, of someone saying, this is what I picked for the nine Oh nine. I chose Vrabel as the next head coach. I did not know that he had been offered. He may never have left the NFL, but there was enough history involved that he might come back. I was initially thinking Matt Campbell, but really only because he was the hot name. Luke may be third. No offense to him, but Vrabel was the more seasoned option. That's from uh, California. Um, so, like, that's that's kind of where people are. We got a lot of good suggestions from people about other things we could do for this. Because I do think, Stephen, as we, you know, we have a couple more things to cover here, but I think this is a worthwhile thing to do spend our time on because in the process of talking about what might have happened, it tells you a little bit about what you think about what did happen. I think it's interesting. I think some of the subjects we're going to touch on with this have long strings. And if you pull it a lot comes apart when you really break it down, when you looking at, okay, what if Ryan day leaves for Mississippi state and still ends up coming back here? What if they don't go with Ryan day? What if they go with an outside hire? What does that do on the recruiting front? How does that change things? How does, does that guy decide to keep, this guy and this guy on the staff, if, if you go with a defensive guy, you know, how many of the offensive guys stick around? Cause think about it. Ryan, they only brought in one new offensive guy when he was hired and that was the guy to replace him. So it's just so many different things you can, you can pull on with a lot of these subjects that it makes it an interesting two hour podcast. From the four one nine, I was comfortable with the day higher, but I thought there may be a dip before he hit his stride this year with the quarterback situation will provide much clarity. In my opinion, I do think Nathan for as much as we think like, you know, hey, we, we got it. We got it. I said, no, there's no chance. I do think that because quarterback is his specialty, because these are three quarterbacks that he wanted and he chose, and that he is the guy who really will be navigating this competition. I actually do think that point is a good one that we're going to find out even a decent amount more about Ryan Day as he deals with this. I mean, it was just a thing that he was going to deal with when he took this job was coming in on the coattails of Urban Meyer. And there's a certain extent to which, um, that was both a good thing and a bad thing for him, obviously. And you can't completely escape it ever, maybe, because you're always going to be the guy who built off of what Urban Meyer came here and changed. But the more that from a personnel standpoint, and it probably is personnel more than anything else, the more that he transitions into his own personnel and playing his, his own style of football and developing the players to make that a successful style of football, the more he puts that behind him. From the 5-1-3, I think the three-game sample size from Day gave a lot of fans confidence. He was able to win a close game against a then-ranked TCU team in the state of Texas. If those three games don't happen, I think a lot of fans would have had more worries about Day. From the 4-4-0, I like the question about how much of Day's success is his inheritance of this program. I live in the South, and a stranger saw me in my OSU gear and made a comment of Day really got handed the keys to a Ferrari. Yes, but he's doing all the scheduled maintenance and even making upgrades. I think with the advent of an 
of more accurate recruiting rankings and continued player development in the program, it seems pretty obvious that Day is raising the trajectory of this program. They will continue to have the talent to be a a national contender every single year. It's not like a dad giving his 16-year-old the keys to a Ferrari. It's like your grandpa leaving his Ferrari to your dad in his will, leaving the keys to someone who respects the legacy and importance of the program. That is some analogizing right there. Steven, I, I, I like it because it's, I don't think we have to deny that it's a Ferrari, but if you give a Ferrari to the wrong person, they're going to drive it into a telephone pole. And if you give a Ferrari to the right person, they're going to do the maintenance. They're going to put a little tarp on it when they, when they park it overnight, right? They're going to keep it safe. They're going to polish it. They're maybe even going to add, like you get like a nice leather, like thing for the steering wheel. So your hands are warm, right? That They're going to add to it. I think that's a, because I don't know that you can deny the Ferrari. And I don't think it's an insult to Ryan day to say you got the Ferrari, but I also don't think we have to take it for granted that he's not driving it into a pole because people drive Ferraris into telephone poles all the time. That explanation they give sounds like something that recruits say when I was at, especially with the 2021 class, when they were on that run, of commit that was, Actually, one of my base questions I would ask these kids, the commits is, why are y'all coming here? This guy's coached one year, and it was with another guy's players where it was very obvious that the guys who ended up being awesome were going to be awesome. And those were the type of explanations they were giving. But also, the he's not really selling Ohio State. He's, he's not selling Urban Meyer's Ohio State. He's selling his own Ohio State. But the idea of – we understand that his – He's not he's not this isn't his program that he built up from scratch, but it doesn't seem like there's going to be a fall off. And we're comfortable with that. From the 289, Ohio State is not Oregon. It's a traditional power, a blue, a blue blood, a national brand. Urban structure is important, but it's Ohio State. Same way they reload with talent on the field. They can reload with talent off the field. That's Terry in Toronto. Uh, this is Ted in the 419. I feel pretty confident about Day's coaching chops. I, I felt that way after the TCU game. I was pretty excited to see him run his own offense without restraint. My biggest question was his ability to recruit because I felt like he was still a relative unknown compared to some of the big dogs. He quickly showed that was not a concern, and then I was all in. From the 214, interesting survey that made me think. I'm like 85% in on Ryan Day as a head coach. Excellent recruiting, personality, and character. Um, looks great with the beard, modern offensive scheme and players seem to love him. Two issues I have not casting a wide net for hiring, which I think is valid so far and a stubborn reliance on his defensive scheme. I think Ryan day is the right guy. And morally, I think he's a much better representative of Ohio state than Meyer was, but I'd like to see some flexibility from him on a few key points. I do think he can get better. I think he's learning, right? I think he's, there are some things you've never been a head coach. I think actually the hiring process of some assistants, which I've been critical of, I think is a good example of that. I think if you really pressed Ryan day on that, I think he might say, you know what? I believe in this, but I see what you're saying. I have to be more open to that. But I do think in the end, I think, I think people feel pretty good. Um, I think people feel pretty good. Nathan. I mean, like we're not getting a lot of vibe anymore from people about like, there's no regret here. I mean, that's the one. There's, there's no regret. And we'll get to the last survey questions. But Ohio State, as a fan base, feels good about where they are and what they did by having Ryan Day be their head coach. Well, and that's why I think this other exercise is important or just useful. Because if you – anyone who is complaining right now, do this exercise and think, who would they have hired that would be better right now? Like, what, what would have happened better than losing a – 
playoff semifinal and losing to the national championship game. Like, I don't, I don't know what would have been better than that. And what, what would be better than what you're positioned to be for the next several years because of what Ryan day is accomplishing in recruiting the staff, he assembled the kind of the plan that he put forward and is executing like who, where, where would you be better? I think it's hard to argue that Ohio state could be in a better position if they had hired someone else. So that's the question. only two laws. Go ahead, Steven. His only two losses are to the two best programs in college football. And his first full recruiting class that he built from scratch he fell behind. The only person with a better class was the guy who's had a better recruiting class every single year than everybody else. I think that's a pretty solid place to be as a guy who never has been a head coach before. Now, I, I don't mean to be a ding dong, but it's like, well, they could have won a national title. And like, as we, there was a time when a lot of second year, Jim Trestle won a national title in year two. Urban Meyer won a national title in year three. Urban Meyer at Florida won a national title in year two. Right. I mean, like this was a thing. There was a time when winning a national title in year two was kind of a thing. Larry Coker won a national title in year two. Right, Nathan? I mean, like, I don't yeah. – I'm not – so in the question I asked, if the Buckeyes hadn't hired Ryan Day, how would the Ohio State program be right now? I had an answer that was even better. They would have won a national title in the last two years. So to your point, Nathan, like, obviously, I mean, we know that. How could they be better? They could have won it all. That's the only way they could be better. Well, so, again, but the, again, that's, that's where you maybe do that results-independent analysis. Would, I mean, yes, they could have won another game, but would the program be better? I mean, they could be, they could have beaten Alabama for the national title and had the eighth and 11th best recruiting classes the last couple of years. And which would you rather have? Because if he, if that was the case, they'd be saying, hey, he won a national title. Yeah, he got fields, but he won a national title with Urban's guys and they're not recruiting as well. He'd be Larry Coker, literally. And that's it in that scenario. And what would you rather have? Would you rather now? Here's the one thing, and this is I, I happening you, in the I NFL. Think you take the, I think you take the title, and, and that's yeah. the thing. Yeah, because like there's a lot the of like I think Carson Wentz is a schemer and a scammer, and I don't like Carson Wentz, and I think he was like people kissed his butt out of North Dakota State because of he, the way he presented himself, and he torpedoed the Eagles. They won a Super Bowl. They won a Super Bowl. So it's like he torpedoed them now. And they're all going down with the ship, but as they go down, their hand is sticking above the water and there's a Super Bowl ring on it. So there's some of this that is like, <laughs> well, I take the long-term view. It's like, all right, well, tell me when you're getting your ring. When's the ring guaranteed to come? Because I'd rather finish first. I, and this is a different debate. This is a dumb sports debate. I think I'd rather finish. I'd rather win a title one year and then like finish last. Maybe this is wrong. Winning a title is above and beyond. That's such bonus territory that like I, I to be a contender all the time, you don't want to be the Buffalo Bills, right? They were good all the time, but they never got over the top. It drives people crazy. So I don't want to take the title for granted. So we're like ripping Larry Coker. Whatever he did, man, he won a title. Now, Helfrich did, but Larry Coker got him a title. So I do think we can't ignore that. So we have to acknowledge, I think, Nathan, you're right, but we have to acknowledge how would they be better? Well, if they yeah. had won a title. Okay. So I, I gave that as an option. They could be even better. They could be just as good. Two Big Ten titles and playoff appearances, no national championship. That was an option. They could be a little worse. They're still the best in the Big Ten, but they're less of a national title contender. They could be a step down, which is like now they're fighting to be the best in the Big Ten. They're definitely not a national title contender, but they're not even the, the king of the Big Ten. They're fighting to be that. Or they're much worse. They're like eight and four. Okay, so those were the five options I gave people. If they did not hire Ryan Day, they'd be even better. They'd be just as good. 
they'd be a little worse. They'd be a step down or they'd be a lot worse. Steven, what do you think won the poll? They'd be just as good. You think just as good won. Nathan, what do you think won the poll? I, I also said just as good. Just because so, they haven't won a title. So do you guys, do you believe that would be the case, that they would be just as good? Is that what your answer would be? I think they would have had roughly the same. Yeah, yes. I think they would have had roughly the same success these last two years. I think they'd be roughly in the same recruiting position for these next few years. Would they have had the number two class? Would they have been the number four class instead? You know, my opinion, I don't see a huge difference there. So I think, I think they would roughly be just as good. What do you think, Steven? I think a little worse because there are some, from a recruiting standpoint, there are just very, very important names that Ryan Day is solely responsible for. He's a good recruiter and he's got a thing that's attractive right now. Yeah. He has this as good of a coach that Matt Campbell is. I don't think Matt Campbell, I don't know that people think Matt Campbell's like an offensive genius. And if you could have anything that you think people think you are in football right now, offensive genius is the number one thing. It's the most attractive thing. And that's a bonus for Ryan Day. And it's Lincoln Riley, it's Ryan Day. And there's not a million of them who are viewed that way. Sarkeesian, right? maybe. Sarkeesian to, a, maybe. To, a, to a lesser extent because his, his is just RPO stuff. But yeah, having that and when you show something as an offensive coordinator, how crazy your offense is, and then somebody gives you the keys to a, a high-level program, you've got some a level of status that most coaches don't have. And I think it helps in recruiting, and I think it helps on the field because it's like one of those things – you, as long as you are living up to the reputation of offensive genius, yeah. and if you, didn't, if you don't live up to it, you won't have it anymore, it's because you're scheming it up. Now, I do think people think he could have maybe schemed it up a little bit better. I think maybe Sarkeesian won the battle of schemers offensively in the national title game. So I think that's out there. But they still think he's good, which helps them win on the field, and it helps in recruiting. So I also would vote a little worse, and a little worse overwhelmingly won the vote that if they did not hire Ryan Day, a little worse, still the best in the Big Ten, but less of a national title contender, 70% said that. 20% said just as good. 9% were even more worried about, man, that they would have messed up by not hiring Ryan Day. 9% said they'd be a step down. They'd be fighting to be the best team in the Big Ten. 1% said they would have fallen off a cliff. And nobody said they'd be even better. Nobody thinks, man, there was a title there for the taken and Vrabel would have got him over the top or Campbell would have gotten over the top or whatever. So nobody voted that. It's hard to see. And now we'll get to the last question and then we'll finish this up and we'll get to our quick basketball discussion at the end. This, I think, is interesting. And I couched it in a way, to my credit, that I think made it more interesting. And it's about where would Ryan be? Where would Ryan Day be right now? If the Buckeyes hadn't hired Ryan Day, where would he be right now? still Ohio State's offensive coordinator, a college head coach who you would be regretting that Ohio State didn't hire, a college head coach that you'd be fine with that he left, an NFL head coach that you'd be regretting Ohio State didn't hire, or an NFL head coach that you'd be fine with. Now, someone said, what about NFL offensive coordinator? I didn't put that in there because that's the thing. I mean, that's what he was offered to be. He could have left to do that. That's also very possible. But I kind of, I'm sorry I didn't put that in there. If you wanted to vote for that, I apologize. 
Um, I also think at some point Ryan Day would have had to make a choice. Do you want to be a college head, cho- head coach or do you want to be an NFL offensive coordinator? And I think he wants to be a head coach. So I actually think if he hadn't been hired by Ohio State, even if he would have been like an NFL offensive coordinator the next year after, I think he'd be a college head coach by now. So that's why I parse that a little bit. Nathan, what do you think won? And then we'll talk about what percent of it was people saying they would be regretting not having Ryan Day versus the not regretting votes. But what do you think won, Nathan? I think college head coach is the answer. With regret or with no regret? Which which college head coach won? Probably probably no regret at this point because it's only been two years. So how much would he be accomplished? It depends on the program, right? Because if you've had to go somewhere where going eight and five was a big deal, I don't think people would be looking over at them and being like, boy, if we had just gotten him, we would have won a national championship. Steven, what do you think won? College coach with regret. Honestly, he might go somewhere and, and show enough that Texas might have hired him this this offseason. That's true. That could have been something like he could have been. I'm trying to think like that might have made a lot of sense that he would have been something else for like maybe these two years. But by now he would have been hired because he might have been. I mean, it might have been Alabama's offensive coordinator. I mean, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with the way it's like, oh, because let's say because here's what I think, like. If they don't hire Ryan Day, like would Ryan Day stay to work for Matt Campbell or would Ryan Day stay to work for Luke Fickle or stay to work for Mike Vrabel? Or would he be like, listen, man, you could have hired me and you didn't. I'm going to go. Right. I think that probably would have made sense. Only three percent of the people said he'd still be Ohio State's offensive coordinator. So the winning vote was a college head coach and you would regret it. The regret vote got 70 percent and the not regret vote got 27 and the other three where he still would be the offensive coordinator. So, Nathan, you said that people would not have regret. Are you surprised that 70% of the people said they think they would be having regret of saying, I can't believe we didn't hire Ryan Day? I am only because of the people who said – that means there are people who think that Ohio State would have been just as good if they'd hired someone else but would also regret Ryan Day being somewhere else. And I don't know how to jive those two things. I think if Ohio State still does what it does the last two years – I don't know that you really regret that Ryan Day went somewhere else. You still achieved a lot. You still made a national championship game. You still made a playoff. You still won two Big Ten championships. You still had a slew of Heisman Trophy finalists one year. I mean, it's like, I don't know what, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you think all of that was still going to happen, what would Ryan Day have had to do somewhere else that you'd be regretting that he was the coach somewhere else instead of coaching Ohio State? And that's why I hate the whole debate of, would you rather have the title and then suck the other years or sustain success? Because to that point, what if they hired Matt Campbell and he came in and in 2019 they won or this past season they won a national title, but then the recruiting showed you it was about to fall off a cliff. While Ryan Day gets hired by Texas after two years at Mississippi State and he's recruiting at the level that Steve Sarkeesian is recruiting right now at Texas and you see sustained success coming. I don't understand. What do you mean you hate? That's an incredibly interesting discussion. You just said you hate that discussion. Look, what do you I, mean? I hate, I hate to like, because you have to take the title at all costs. But I, and I'm always feeling like, why would you, would you rather just, uh, I would, why do you have to take the title if everything else around it is awful when you could have sustained success in every single year be in the spot? I understand what the Bills went through, but at least they were in a position to go through that and not necessarily worse than the last worse than the big in the NFL while they just have this one title to hold on to three or four years ago. See, that's so a, you, you love the discussion. 
because you have a very strong viewpoint that is arguing anti-title, which is a very smart argument. But a lot of people would come back and say the title, the title, the title. I'm just pushing back on the idea of you hate it because you love it because you make very yeah. good points on the okay, other side. I, okay, fine. I hate people who are pro-title just okay. for the sake of being pro-title. Okay, but, Nathan, but go if, ahead. If Ohio State had just held a a month ago a socially distanced national championship parade or whatever through Columbus, and Ryan Day was had just taken the head coaching job at Texas and was recruiting well, Ohio State fans are not sitting here saying, "Boy, I wish we'd had Ryan Day." They're not. They're just not. No one's no. saying that right now. But if in five, five years, six, seven years from now, Ohio State's going ten and two and nine and three, and every single se- and maybe uh, God forbid seven and five. Meanwhile, Ryan Day and Texas are in the playoff every year and playing in national championship games. Ohio State fans are going to be looking like, man, we could have had that. Well, but a we that wasn't the, the question. Right now. Right. A, that wasn't the question people were asked, and B, they would not be saying, I wish we had Ryan Day necessarily. They'd be saying, I wish we had anyone else but this guy who just went 7-5 and five or 9-3. and three. That, At that said, point, we, the guy's just getting fired. I mean, it's one of those things. A college like, head you, coach, and you'd be re- – it's not you regretting it after two years. You could be regretting it six years later. Well, but we're talking about the regret in the moment. So, I mean, that's right. hard. It's like it's about right now. I, I wonder when, like, yeah. Miami people started regretting Larry Coker, right? Because, like you said, they didn't regret it. Like, year four, okay, they start going downhill. It's right. like, well, they're still – there's still the T-shirts from the national title still fit like they're good. You know what I mean? Didn't but then, know. like by the time they fired Larry Coker, they were like, what did we do? I mean, he won a title, but my God, what made us ever think that was the guy? Right. So it's I think the shelf life of regret or when does regret kick in and how much does the title sort of hold off regret? Right. It's like, oh, we want a title. Well, if you have, if you have a crappy coach for 20 years, one title's not enough. What about also, 10 years? What about? Eight, what about six, what about four, right? That's what we're talking about. Also, a head coach who just won a national championship in 2020 for Ohio State, when people ask him, wait, but you slipped to like number eight or whatever in the recruiting or 10, like what's going on there? I'd be like, well, I don't know if you guys noticed, but our 2019 class wasn't ranked that high. We still just won a national championship. So don't worry about it. Like that, that would still be baked into whether people had regret right now or not, because it could be spun that way. Well, but the 2019 class wouldn't be why they won anything. They would have won just... But so I'm also two, saying that a dip one year doesn't preclude you from having success in the future. Well, it precludes you from having success in the future when you start relying on that class. The whole point, if they would have won a, the 2019 class, isn't why they've done anything the last two years. I mean, Garrett Wilson is good. Yeah, but I person. do think to this point, if the recruiting was falling off and they had won a national title in the first two years, people would, with their national championship T-shirts on, they would be worried about the Mark Helfrich, Larry Coker scenario. We would be talking about it all off season. If the if they were the if they had, if they had just signed the eleventh best recruiting class in the country and won a national title, we would talk about Larry Coker and Mark Helfrich every day. Now, they'd love the title. They would love the title, but that's where everybody heads. That's where everybody's heads would be for sure, because you'd have the two the dichotomy, the on field success right now, and and Matt Campbell would have helped them get over the top. They would have beat Bama. But you immediately would be going to the future and wondering, is it going to be sustained? And we'd be having great debates for sure. But relative to the question that was asked, would they be regretting that Ryan Day had gone somewhere else? Where else would Ryan Day have gone that he would be recruiting better than Ohio State? I think, but I think Stephen's point, you'd be doing something where maybe Ryan Day went somewhere and was really good and just got hired at Texas 
And you'd be like, man, that guy was really good where he was at a place that wasn't as good as Ohio state. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but he recruited better than expected. He won more than expected. He got the Texas job off of it. Recruiting at Ohio state has taken a little bit of a dip and everybody at Texas is super fired up for this guy. And everybody at Texas is saying, congratulations on your title, but we stole your dude. We would be doing it all off season. I understand what you're saying, Nathan. I mean, really? We would go from the national championship parade to an off season of regret? That's really what we'd be doing? No, but I think it would be percolating underneath it and we would be on the lookout for it. Here's what I think. I think Ryan Day would be an NFL head coach. And I don't think people would regret it because you wouldn't understand it enough to regret it. It's like right now, they're very good. Everything's going great. What if they're, What if in the Matt Campbell scenario, Everything they'd be recruiting just as well, and they would have beaten Alabama. You don't know it, so like they're not. Nobody's regretting they didn't hire Matt Campbell. I think I think Ryan Day would be, and I've written about this. He if the when Tennessee tried to hire Ryan Day as the offensive coordinator, the Titans, and he turned it down. They hired Matt Lafleur, and after a year, the Packers hired Matt Lafleur as their head coach. The what the I want an offensive genius head coaching revolution is. If you think it's underway in college football, it's bananas in the NFL. Like Ryan Day would be Arthur Smith, Matt LaFleur, whatever. His friend Matt Rule went from Baylor to the Carolina Panthers. People would be all over Ryan Day. And if he felt like he had to leave Ohio State because he didn't get the head coaching job, and now he's on the move again anyway, I think he might have gone NFL, and I think he'd be a head coach. Maybe he'd be entering year one as the head coach. Maybe the Falcons would have hired Ryan Day instead of Arthur Smith, and Ryan Day would be getting ready to draft Justin Fields. And we'd be talking about, Hey, isn't it crazy that urban Meyer and Ryan day are both head coaches or whatever. Right. But I don't, I think people would be enough reasonably happy enough with Matt Campbell or whomever they hired. And that I think Ryan day would be in the NFL and not cramming it in Ohio state's fans faces every minute that I don't think they would realize maybe they should have regret, but they wouldn't, but I think he'd be an NFL head coach. I think he'd be a coordinator on route to being a head coach if yeah. he wasn't a head coach already. Yeah. So that's where we are. That's the discussion. That was fun. That was interesting. We covered all the ground that I wanted to cover. You heard our scenarios and how it might have played out. It worked out for Ohio State. Nobody listening to this is saying they wish it would have worked out another way. So Ryan Day, if you're listening, you know, just because we say maybe other people might have had success too. I mean, this turned out to be he's the right man for the job and good for Ohio State and good for Ryan Day. If you don't want to hear about basketball, you can stop. We have gone long. I know our assistant sports editor is going to see the timestamp on the length of this podcast and be like, what are you guys doing? I get it. We want to give a little basketball for the people who want basketball, who made it this far. We're going to do 10 or 15 minutes of basketball after this break. I promise you there's not going to be any football or any recruiting or any French fry discussion. So if you are not interested in basketball, you can bail. If you're interested in the basketball Buckeyes heading into the Big, Inter- Big Ten tournament, we'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. I want to do basketball mostly because I just want to complain about the basketball team. <laughs> That's what I do. Okay. In the end, Stephen. Somebody did text us and said, no more basketball talk, because ever since we started talking about them, they started losing. So here's the question that I have is, is this a – so number one, 12 and eight in the big 10, even in a tough conference, I'm not sure how impressed I'm supposed to be with 12 and eight. So I get it. I'm a little, I don't actually even know why they're still in the top 10 in the polls. Why are they ranked ahead of Purdue? 
They have the same record. Purdue finished higher in the Big Ten standings. Purdue beat Ohio State twice. And Purdue's non-conference losses, they played tougher non-conference teams than Ohio State did. Ohio State's like two good non-conference wins or Notre Dame who stinks. And who was the other one that's like a decent team? Clemson? Was it Clemson? Or who was it? It's somebody else. There's not like there's some great no. non-conference win that I'm super impressed by. I have no idea why they're ranked in the top 10 or You're why they're ahead that. of Purdue. I think it's the pollsters. And I think it's possible that the NCAA tournament seating is not going to reflect the current voting because I do not know why they're ninth. I don't know why they have not plunged. So I'm not sure how impressed I'm supposed to be with the 12 and eight big 10 record fifth in the conference. It's a great conference. I get it, but you're fifth. So, and you're 12 and eight. So I just, I'm saying that. And I don't know whether this was a 12 and eight team the whole time that just happened to have a bunch of their tough games at the end of the year. And they were, we, they tricked us into thinking that they were a, like a 17 and not 17, like a 15 and five team because they had a whole bunch of tough games late or were they actually playing like the second or third best team in the big 10 and they've hit a skid and that they aren't playing as well, or is this who they were? And the res- their losing streak is mostly a reflection of the schedule. Which one is it, Steven? It's, it's the schedule. I think they're getting a benefit of the doubt because, yes, they're on a four-game losing streak, but when you look at who those four games are to, you, you excuse it a little bit. One was a, the number three team in the country. We get Another it. One, you don't have to redo it. We know okay, they lost fine. a bunch of good teams. That's, that's, all, that's, why, that's why they're so high in the, in the rankings because you get a benefit of the doubt. Back, bracket Matrix right now has them as the third number two seed, so it does a little bit reflect what they've lost. I think right now they're just in a skip at the – wrong time in the season. I think they're fine. They've now, yes, some things have been exposed. Sissoui needs to find a way to be more consistent. Justin Orange needs to actually shoot the ball because you shooting 46% from three is great, but if you're not going to put shots up, it doesn't really matter. And Dwayne Washington Jr. need to continue to work on his shot selection, which has been the problem with him all three years he's been here. But I in the corner of this team is fine. They just, every team goes through a bad stretch. You just don't, you just wish it wouldn't be two weeks before the postseason starts. But I do think they, they, there's a chance that we see a situation where they might lose in the, their first game in the Big Ten tournament on Thursday when they play either Minnesota or Northwestern, but then also make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. If they lose to Northwestern and Minnesota, people are going to freak they will. out. And I'm not so sure it wouldn't be justified. Nathan, you know what I'm saying here? That's like, I think there's a way – that if they had the exact same record and lost and won the exact same games, if the games would have been in a different order, they'd be like 16th in the country right now instead of ninth. Yeah, I don't know about that low, but they could they would be lower, I think. Um, I think some of what Steven is saying is correct, although I also think that, again, when you look at their the, the metrics and stuff for them for a season, it, there's also reason to wonder, um, okay, yes, they've hit a skid at the wrong time. They're playing all good teams here. But guess what they're going to have to beat in order to keep playing is you're going to have to beat good teams. And I think that uh, this is an issue. I think they've got to get it corrected. And I don't think Wednesday uh, or Thursday, I'm, I'm sorry, tells us a whole lot. I think they've got to win Thursday. I think that is a pretty big game for them. But I think they got to get to Friday. I think they got to get on the floor with somebody else that's a, a good basketball team. And they've got to show something better than they've shown here the last couple of weeks. Yeah, but I think there is a difference between playing good and playing teams who might win a national championship and you're playing a team who might win a national championship every four days, basically. 
I, I think there is a better way to, because that's what they're doing right now. Uh, Purdue's a good team. Uh, Minnesota, despite their records, a pretty decent team because they have Marcus Carr. So those are still decent. If they beat Minnesota or Northwest, it's still going to be a decent win. It's just not going to be a win over a team who's – you're not – even when you get to the tournament, you're not playing a team who might win a national champion every single year building up to that point. They didn't play a team that could win a national championship every game, the last four games. They played Illinois, Illinois and Michigan. Michigan. Iowa, Iowa is not winning a national championship. If they Iowa is get not winning hot, a national championship. If they get hot for six straight games and they're scoring 85-plus points, that's, it's a possibility. You who, guys who are around me, the team, the you're, you're in a fog. You're in a fog. Listen, I, and this is my point on this. It's not that Chris Holtman's a bad coach or that Chris Holtman should be fired. And by the way, the two other people that were in the mix there, Archie Miller stinks and Greg McDermott, the stuff yeah. that Greg McDermott said, who yeah. Gene Smith flew and talked to, Greg McDermott is a disaster. Greg McDermott at Creighton is a disaster. He should be fired. If Greg McDermott was at Ohio State right now, it would be an abject disaster. That guy doesn't get it. So Chris Holtman is so far above other people who were theoretically in the mix for that job that it's not even funny. Ohio State should get down on its knees and thank it's every day. Be thankful that they hired Chris Holtman. He was a good hire. He was the right guy. They've got to break through. They've got to break through at some point. And at some point, if you're fifth in the Big Ten and you're 12 and eight in the Big Ten, and that's what you are every year, that's not good enough. If you're that a lot of years, but every now and then you break through, then that is good enough. I thought this year was the breakthrough year. If this is not the breakthrough year, then when's the breakthrough year? Is it next year? What would it be that next year? Is there stuff coming? Okay, maybe there is. But we can't act like they don't need a breakthrough at some point. You've got to win the Big Ten at some point. I get it. It's tough. Or finish second again. You've got to make the Sweet 16. Maybe they would have done it last year. I get it. It is early on this. But we can't. We, what we can't do is act like 12 and 8 is good enough every year. And so I think there's a backlash to the backlash. Some people see a four-game losing streak and the way they played bad down the stretch against Illinois and like the nut job, Chris Holtman's the wrong guy, people come out. And of course, that's not right. But then there's a backlash to the backlash and people are like, oh, Chris Holtman. It's like, okay, I get it. But when are you going to do something truly special? That's what I'm waiting for. I thought, I think a lot of people thought it was going to be this year. If it's not this year, it has to be at some point. And Stephen, we'll get back to you. Nathan, like at the moment, I'm not so sure they're special. I'm not so sure it is a breakthrough. And I'm not so sure. I think if they only beat, I think if they win one game in the Big Ten tournament and they don't beat a good team in the Big Ten tournament, they're a three seed in the NCAA tournament. And then if you tell me this is a three seed that loses to a six in the second round, that feels right to me with the way they're playing right now, regardless of their competition. Nathan, go ahead, and then we'll get back to actual basketball writer. Yeah, I mean, they, they absolutely look more vulnerable than they did two or three weeks ago. And I said it on a podcast that Steve and I did a couple weeks ago. Like, when your resume looks a lot like Iowa's resume, that is not where you want to be. That is just not a program that gets it done in this time of year. And they look they, – they, they aren't built the same way Iowa does, but the end result reminds me a lot of Iowa, and that's not where I would want to be if I was Ohio State. And I get they have a lot of quadrant one wins. We covered that on the basketball podcast. They are a good team. They are. And they are a good program. They are. And Chris Holtman is a good coach. He is. But every now and then you've got to be great. That's the expectation at Ohio State. So, Stephen, like, are, are, do you feel 
How would you characterize, you think, the ability of this team to still be like an Elite Eight team, to be like that this still would be a special season when we point to this era of Ohio State basketball, we'll point to the 2020-21 season and be like, man, that was an awesome team. Yeah, they had that weird little losing streak at the end, but they that was a great conference. They had some awesome wins, and then the tournament was, was super cool. Obviously not as confident as maybe I was a couple of weeks ago, but I think their problems are fixable because Justin Orange, shoot the ball. It's Justin Suing. Be tougher. Play with a little bit more consistency. Chris Holtman, put the ball in the right guy's hands. That's what the Illinois game was. EJ Liddell made a shot with 348 to go and then didn't get the ball the rest of the game. That's not That can't happen, but that's fixable. Those are coaching concerns and not necessarily a talent problem. And so we, I'm still okay feeling like this team can get to an Elite Eight, and it's it, at least the second weekend of the NCAA tournament because these are fixable problems. Just like earlier in the season when they were in a 10 and one stretch, I felt like it was sustainable because that stuff I could see every single one of those players doing. So as long as it's not a talent issue, I'm still comfortable with the ceiling. It's still a talent issue to some degree for to be elite. It is the situation. Each Liddell can get there. It's not like he's he's hit his ceiling, his peak already at averaging 16 points as a first team All Big Ten guy, which came out today on this Tuesday. He can get to that level. Just right now, because he's more of a post player than a perimeter player, you've got to find ways to get him the ball. But he still has that high ceiling to be as what we've qualified as an NBA level player. How much is, is Holt, does Holtman get pushed? Has he gotten pushed either in post game news conferences during this four game losing streak or midweek news conferences? Yeah, a lot after this Illinois loss because that that was an excuse. Why was Dwayne Washington shooting a lot of shots? Why why did EJ not get the ball the last four minutes. Have you seen Pat? What? Why is this happening? Why constantly being a situation where you get to the last four minutes of the game and your team is falling apart in crunch time? He got pushed pretty hard go after this Illinois game. What do you say? His answers are constantly, we just got to keep teaching. We got to keep teaching. And that's part of the problem. Like he gives you the, a lot of that same base answer when te- things aren't going well. But that, but that the down the stretch decision-making, getting the ball to the right people, did he take that on himself, or or how did he address that? He took it on himself after the Iowa game. That a lot of this is on me. We I got to put these guys in better positions, and do a, we've got to do a better job as a coaching staff teaching, because there's no excuse for Dwayne Washington being in his third year and he's still making some of the same mistakes he made as a freshman. All right, I I got some. I mean, I have some stats. I don't have them right in front of me, but I what is, I think this is right. I think Randy Ayers. So we're going back. So Thad Mata made the national championship game in his third year. Jim O'Brien, who was before Mata, made the final four in his second year, I believe. Second or third year. I think it was a second year. And Randy Ayers, who was before Jim O'Brien, I think it was in his second year, made the Elite Eight, and his third year made the Sweet 16. So that's the deal. Now, I will give, I think it is fair to count last season as a Sweet 16 appearance for Chris Holtman. He thinks he had a Sweet 16 team. It was taken away. I think he deserves the benefit of of the doubt there. But what I'm telling you is that the three guys before you, by this point in their careers, had at least made an Elite Eight. At a place, it's not like Randy Ayers was great, but Randy Ayers got some juice at the beginning that then he could sort of point to after they sort of fell off. He Larry Coker did a little bit, right? 
Jim O'Brien had something to point to right away. Thad Mata had something to point to right away. Chris Holtman does not have the equivalent to point to yet. They might be about to give it to us. They might. All I'm saying is they kind of need to. And I don't think that's an unreasonable expectation. So I'm not going to kill anybody before the NCAA tournament. But I'm saying, like, I don't think, like, an Elite Eight run here would be, like, a bonus, a miracle. Oh, my God, Chris Holtman's a genius. I think it would be a thing that it is fair to expect every now and then. And tell me if it's not now, when? Because if it's not now, now I'm waiting for it. Now I'm waiting for it going into year five. And that's okay. But it's not okay if we're waiting for it going into year seven. When is it not okay to have a breakthrough? That's my question. So I'm not saying it's not make or break right now. But this sure as heck would be a good time to do it. That's my point. And I don't think that's unfair. And I know if I decide to get on a Chris Holtman conference call, I'm going to come in and be the guy who only writes about high state basketball in a negative fashion. But that's all I'm saying. It has to happen at some point. And it very, way, it very may will. Very well may. It probably will at some point. But until it does, I can't assume it. You got to show it to me. So until you show it, I'm going to ask about it. I agree with you. I kind of felt that way going into last season because Caleb's in his third year. They had a pretty solid recruiting class with DJ Carden and EJ Liddell, and then it fell apart. But uh, to that point, if he said that he felt like that was a Sweet 16 team, then fine. I'll take him at face value, but I don't agree with that. The way that team had played throughout the entire – that didn't look like a Sweet 16 team. That seemed like a team that was destined to get to the second round again and lose. This team, I this looks like a Sweet 16 team. Well, it looked like it on paper coming into the season, and they played like it. Now, the run stretch is what it is, but they look like a team who should be in the Sweet 16. So anything less than that is a failure. Nathan, you used to write about basketball. Any final words here? I do, I do want to say uh, to to – push back against myself a little bit even in these past because I, I guess my my coverage goes back about a decade right and even in years where you thought oh the big Ten's pretty good this year people weren't talking about the big 10 the way they're talking about the big 10 this year so that is why that is a context for this year and for this performance somewhat this might be the strongest year that the big 10 has had in i don't even know how long as far as like potential elite teams so i will bake that into this but i also you know there's other teams in the Big Ten right now that are pretty good that have had to play good teams recently. They're not all on five-game, four-game losing streaks. So, uh, Stephen says these problems are correctable. Clock is ticking, obviously. They're, they're, they they got to fix these problems. And are, are they drifting from the offensive um, execution that was so successful for them early this year? And I think more importantly, do you trust this team to get stops against great teams in the NCAA tournament down the stretch? That's another question I have about Ohio State. Standards high. I, 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 a lot of the discussion, and I pulled it out, and I'll probably reference it again. The day that Chris Holtman was hired, and I talked with Gene Smith about what is the standard for Ohio State basketball, and that's what I go by. And if you think that my standard is unfair, it's the AD standard, and he's the boss. So the AD standard is a top 15 team all the time. Now, of course, there are blips. I get that. But that's what the expectation should be. So to me, that's what they are right now, right? Because they're not playing like a top five team right now. They're not playing like a real final four contender. They're playing like a team that should make the Sweet 16. That's what Gene Smith says is the, is the standard. That's the norm. 
you dip under the norm sometimes, but not for any extended period. This season as it stands is the norm. And then Gene said, every now and then you peak into the top five. You peak as a final four type team. So this is the norm and I'm waiting for the peak. And I'm doing it because that's what the AD told me the day they hired this coach. But, but more importantly, I think you're also not even comparing it to what he said that day or comparing it to Thad Mahdi. You're comparing it to what this team looked like even just a month ago. You're holding them to the standard that they appeared to set in this season. Well, but it's one of those things. I don't know. I mean, if, I mean, but, but, I mean, if they were, so I'm, I'm complaining they were 12 and eight in the big 10. If they were eight and 12, I'd be, I'd be ripping. Well, them. Right, right, right. But yeah. I'm just so, saying, but they were, I'm just saying you're comparing them to what they were when they were 12 and four. And, but and I'm with saying, the opportunity that was still ahead of them. Because we were treating them. We were operating for most of the season under the assumption that this was a peak year. Right. And that's why I'm surprised they're still ninth because right now it doesn't feel like a peak year. It feels like a normal year. They still can make it a peak year. The elite eight's a peak year, right? Final four is a peak year, but I'm telling you if what I'm going to push back against in the end, even if they make the sweet 16, if they make the sweet 16 and finish fifth in the big 10, 12 and eight conference record, and they finish ranked like 12th in the country. What I will say is that is not a good year or that is not a great year. That is what the standard of Ohio state is. And if somebody tries to tell me on, Hey, don't criticize Chris Holtman. They made the sweet 16 and finished fifth in the big 10. I'm going to say, yeah, that's what they're supposed to do. Show me something better. And then guess what? I'm going to be waiting for it. Not I, I don't mean to make it about me, but on behalf of the fans, that's what you're waiting for. Cause if it's not now, when, and then that becomes a thing, when's your peak. But those last three coaches did not have to deal with that because they peaked right away. And if you say that's not fair because Thad let it fall off. So what Coltman inherited was tougher to get to, right? Okay. We could have that discussion, but the reality is the last three guys had peaked in a way already that Holtman has not yet peaked. And if it happens now, he's right on track with the past. If it doesn't happen now, he's behind. All right. That's our basketball discussion. We had a giant football discussion. We'll be back. Steven on Thursday is heading to Indianapolis. He'll be there as long as Ohio State's there covering the Big Ten tournament and then the NCAA tournament. We appreciate you guys hanging out with us. That was long, but we had to give you little hoops. Buckeye fly effect will be something that we continue to do in the offseason. But for now, we're going to get geared up for spring football because it's around the corner. So get ready. Join the text 614-350-3315. Drop a review to Apple Podcasts. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk.